Consequence Podcast Network. Now you'll come, won't you, Michael? Dr. Loomis, what the hell are you doing? We aren't taking her anywhere. You've got five seconds to give me that key before I take it. Charlie, can you read me? This is Charlie. What's going on? There's a car approaching. I'll check it out. Looks like one of ours. It's a code two. Hey. Eddie, do you read me? Eddie, can you read me? Eddie, come in. Gotta call Meeker. Crazy son of a bitch. Charlie. Hermit's Shack on the outskirts of Haddonfield, Illinois, to the Children's Hospital without an apostrophe. We are Halloweenies. Hello and welcome once again to another episode of Halloweenies, a Michael Myers podcast from the Consequence Podcast Network, a podcast where you'll find us covering one movie from the Michael Myers Halloween franchise every month leading up to David Gordon Green's retconning, reimagining, rebooting, re-something of Halloween this October, which we're kind of calling Halloween. If you hear us mention it as that, please don't be thrown. Uh, I am one of your co-hosts, Justin Gerber, senior writer at Consequence of Sound. Now, if you're just joining us, be sure to check out our first four movie episodes, plus a bonus episode on the Halloween trailer that came out about a month ago. Um, the Shape returned last year, but this year. He will have his revenge in the film kind of titled Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers. But before we dive into a dissection of that film, as well as recent Halloween news, let's head around the Halloween table. <laughs> Lame. Yeah, sure. We've got decorations. <laughs> and introduce ourselves. And then also discuss the first time that we saw Halloween 5. And also, let's give our personal verdicts. Is this movie called Halloween 5 or is it called Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers? To my right is... Mackenzie Myers Gerber, not even trying. Uh, I am a constant contributor to this podcast as well as the Losers Club. And I got to say, I think I saw this uh, directly after seeing part four, um, possibly even the same night. I don't know how we rented this. Uh, it might have been a, a, another week or something, but um, I don't remember liking it then. And I don't like it now. <laughs> it's pretty bad. And what's um, the uh, title? I think it's... I think. It, I think I always knew it as Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers. Okay. One vote for that. This is also, again, this is the, the, the definitive vote. <laughs> so from now on, whenever you and your personal life are talking about this film, you have to refer to it as whatever we, dis we deem it to be. Um, across from you, Mac, is... Michael Meeker Myers <laughs> Rothman. Adding the Meeker there for my boy Ben, who's on his final hurrah in this very unfortunate sequel <laughs> that I call... 
Halloween Five: The Revenge of Michael Myers. Okay. Oh. I, I look at that poster, that, great poster actually, mm. uh, with that knife and the mask that certainly doesn't appear in this film. Oh, we'll talk about that too. And uh, a costume that Jamie's in that they disregard. Uh, but great poster, great poster. <laughs> uh, I actually, as I mentioned in the previous episodes, this is one of the first films that I saw only because I didn't really watch it. I rented it. It sat in my room. I got nervous by having it in my room, and then I immediately took it back. Uh, thinking it was too scary, uh, not knowing how stupid the movie really was. And uh, eventually I did, of course, correct myself and went back and watched the original one. So thank God for that, because if I had started this entire series with Halloween 5, I don't know where I would be today. <laughs> Probably outside, actually. Uh, like, but You guys could do this podcast. Yeah, I'm not taking yeah, part in this. Yeah, so. And then from the, the leafy streets of Austin, Texas, <laughs> Dan Caffrey. Dan, tell us about yourself and what do you think about... When was the first time you saw Halloween 5, and what is the title to you? Uh, first off, this is Dan Charlie Caffrey. <laughs> um, yeah, I also watched it right after Halloween 4. I think it just, once I really got into Halloween, I think it just ran all the movies pretty back-to-back. Um, I will always look at it as Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers. Um, that's what it said on that VHS box. I, I always put 4 and 5 together just because they, they both use the original mask on the cover and they had the image of Jamie, like, I don't know, that, I look at them as a pair. Um, I do not hate this movie. I think I'm going to be the one who uh, def- kind of defends it. I mean, I don't, it's not great either. Uh, when I was younger, I liked it better than four. I thought it was scarier than four and I liked the mask better than four, but my, my opinion has changed a little bit on that. So, um, so we'll see, but yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm going to stump for this movie a little bit today. If that's all right with you guys. Hey, you know what? It's free world. Nah, maybe it's a free country, not, not so much a free world. <laughs> not so much a free world anymore. I don't even know if it's a free country, but that's another podcast that uh, will soon come to, the Consequence Podcast Network. In the meantime, I... Uh, oh, wait, I have to give my verdict, too. I forgot. Yeah, yeah. I'm let's, Justin let's Gerberg, senior, senior writer, Consequence of Sound, also co-host of The Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast, which all four of us are actually yeah. uh, members of. We're a bunch of losers here. We, just, we also happen to love Halloween. Um, my verdict is that it is Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers, oh. even though the opening credits just say Halloween 5. And even the poster, which says Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers, if you look at the bottom for the credits, it just says Halloween 5. So I think, honestly, it just came down to irresponsibility and laziness on part of the marketing department to forget to officially title this Revenge of Michael Myers. It just, it, believe it or not, it seemed like a rush job. Wow. Like it seems the movie. lazy. Yeah. Yeah. No surprise. Uh, but before we get going into our glowing uh, praise <laughs> on Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers, let's head on over to our phones, turn on our phones, because they've been off, because we're, we're professional podcast recorders. Oh, yeah. Let's hit that Twitter app and demand uh, Mr. Sandman, <laughs> bring me a tweet. He's going to get you. 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 The boogeyman is coming. Leave me alone. He doesn't believe us. Don't you know what happens on Halloween? Yeah, we get candy. <laughs> boogeyman. Who the boogeyman? The boogeyman. The boogeyman. Well, we don't have a lot of news to really go over because, as you know, you Haddonfield Huskers out there or you Halloweenies just like us, we went over the trailer in exhaustive detail literally hours after it dropped. Uh, so we there, there are a couple stories that percolated afterwards, but uh, for the most part, very light with Hallow Green news, which is that's kind of reassuring. Thing. That's yeah. a good thing. Though. Yeah, uh, we don't need we don't need to be bombarded with no. items uh, from this film uh, so early. 
uh, we got so much from the trailer uh, that I'm, I'm, I'm good at taking a little bit of a break from the news. Although there was something in the trailer that we did miss uh, that someone pointed out to us. Yeah. In the, uh, in the bathroom stall, when the woman's uh, being assaulted, you can see uh, scribbled on the stall... The Mark of Thorn. The Mark of Thorn. And how fitting is that for this episode? Because this is the first appearance of the Mark of Thorn. And boy, what a wild ride that appearance is. And we'll (laughs) get into that in good detail a little later on. Yeah, yeah. But in the meantime, there's a a few stories that have uh, come to light. A lot of really jarring stuff. For one, uh, it it appears that David Gordon Green and Danny McBride were originally trying to pitch two movies back to back Mm -hmm. uh, that they wanted to film, which means that this isn't going to be uh, the final film, which we all knew. Yeah, you know... We, we, we talked a little bit about this in our last episode. I'm not sure if it was a trailer episode or if it was Halloween 4, that episode. But this is going to make a lot of money, mm-hmm. period. I, yeah. don't think we're the, I don't think critical acclaim or critical dismissal is going to make any difference. No. I think it's going to make the money it's going to make. People are going to go see this regardless. I'm going to see it regardless. I don't care if it gets nil on Metacritic or Rotten Tomatoes or whatever. I'm a little surprised that Dan McBride and David Gordon Green would be so willing to continue on. I figured mm-hmm. this would just be a one-off for them, and then Jason yeah. Blum and the Akkads would you know, totally run into the ground again. But uh, well, this, I was kind of shocked to see that they want to be involved. This is what he says. Danny McBride says, We were going to shoot two of them back-to-back. Should I do a Danny McBride uh, impersonation? Or try? Good luck. Just try. Yeah, right. Good luck. Oh, we were going to shoot uh, two of them back-to-back. Uh, then we were like, well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. This could come out, and everyone could hate us, and we'd never work again. So let's not have to sit around for a year while we wait for another movie to come out that we know people aren't going to like. So we were like, let's learn from this and see what works and uh, what doesn't. (laughs) That's not too bad. Very good. Uh, But then he he continues, but we definitely have an idea of where we would go with this branch of the story, and hopefully we get a chance to do it. What if the sequel is you find out that Lori is (laughs) Michael's sister? We were joking about this. (laughs) I would, at that point... Walk out, and we would never record an episode of this podcast ever again. Well, we, well, they, no, they, we, we would they, come right to the studio and then yeah. give an awful yeah, we would have to. Nick Castle did say something in that interview on HalloweenMovies.com with Jude Courtney. He, I, I don't know. I'm, I might be reading too far into it. He said something. They asked about Michael's relationship with Laurie, and he said something about, like, without ruining too much, let's just say he sees her. He knows who she is. Like, he, he kind of hinted at some greater connection, which I don't think it would be that they were siblings, but it, it, it was like a weird comment. I don't know if I'm reading too far into it, though. I mean, I think that he's definitely the driving point as to why he returns to Haddonfield, so I think maybe oh, that's... Yeah. I think he's just being vague, as, as vague I as he could that. possibly be. I hope. I, mm-hmm. I can't imagine. There's No. Why are we even talking about this? There's no way they're going to be related. There's no. just no way. Because they would have continued after two if that was exactly. the case. And it, yeah, you're right. I can't even imagine a scenario, a world in which we live in, in which that would be the reveal. But, but again, it comes into this conundrum where it's like, is he man or is he myth? And I know. you know, if you make him this myth thing, then what's the difference at this point? You know, I mean, granted, if you don't have it where they're not spiritually linked, in the sense of them being brother and sister, that you know, that's not as complicated, and you can kind of go in different ways. But if they were going to do that. Why didn't they just not have the Strode story in line anyway? Maybe so. this movie's going to end where you think he's dead, and then, uh, what's his name? The sheriff, Will Will Patton. Will Patton walks up to to Laurie and goes, "It's your game now, Strode." And then she's got the mark of thorn on her wrist. Oh my lord! 
And it's then, a direct uh, sequel to Halloween 6, but ignores the events. Uh, yeah. It's a direct sequel to Halloween 5 and 6, but ignores 2, 3, and 4, and uh. H2O. Yeah, let's, let's really overcomplicate this series uh, some more. Dan, That's you were going to say something? Wondering, well, yeah, wh- when they said that they had an idea for a sequel, I kept wondering, like, okay, does that mean someone else takes up the mantle of Michael Myers? Do they... I don't know, did they show what happened between the movies at some point? Like, I don't know, I just kept trying to think, like, what kind of sequel idea would they have that, if it doesn't involve the typical, oh, we can't kill Michael Myers, so he gets up and there's just another one. I, I don't know, I mean, it, it could be really well, interesting. I think the sequel, I feel like the sequel would have to be, like, Laurie and Michael on a road trip together. <laughs> like, find their parents or something that, you know. This sounds like the, the Quentin Tarantino pitch for Halloween 6, which we'll talk about next month. Next month for sure. <laughs> there is absolutely no way they're going to make any more Halloween movies without Michael Myers, and let alone Michael Myers without that mask. So yeah. there's no way they would have somebody else pick it up. No way. So, but I, I for some reason I still can't imagine Laurie dying in this. She well, can't she die three times in a she in span have of twenty five years. She, can't she? she doesn't have to die, but she, she. I know that. I mean, she said multiple times that she just wants there to be a finality to her story with Michael, but it doesn't mean that she dies necessarily. I still know how this maybe, continues on. She, if maybe it's she comes be in Haddonfield, and and then she just does she move away, and then he just hangs out in Haddonfield. Like I don't know. Maybe he comes well, like two thousand. I think that she's gonna like go to Italy and like <laughs> see Loomis sitting out at the table across the way. <laughs> 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 Do you think that they're gonna drop an atomic bomb in uh, in Haddonfield? I I think so. I think Ooh. Michael will survive it because he's evil. What if it's like a you know <laughs> Return of the Living Dead? That could, that could be great, also. You know. Atomic bomb drops. Oh yeah, in there too. and then Laurie comes back well, and so starts wait, piercing sorry, it's herself. Not an atomic bomb. <laughs> Looks <laughs> like a nuclear <laughs> bomb, right? It's a, it's a big bomb. It's a big bomb. Laurie. It's a ballistic missile. Yes. What if like Laurie comes back and has to like start piercing herself because she's like a zombie and needs oh. pain? Ooh, like in Return of the Living Dead three. three. Yeah. This section will be very speculative until October. <laughs> yeah, no know, joke. Obviously, no. we'll look but, back on this and laugh. Hopefully. But if if you were, let's imagine that based on the story beats that we discussed at the trailer. You know, Michael comes home again. He sees Lori again. Stalks Lori again. Lori fights Myers again. He escapes again. What is the point of this movie? <laughs> like, what is the point? I don't like, know. Like, so it's either that she has to conquer him and feel as if that's enough for her story to end, or she dies. Like, I don't know. Well, I, that's why I think that the sequel was just totally squashed, because I think... If they didn't have a, a final thing with J- Jamie Lee, I don't think that she would have done. I don't think she would have done this one. Do you know what I mean? If Unless she like, literally well, maybe we'll do Loomis. another one, but it'll still be open ended. I don't think she would have done it. I think she was like, "No, nah, I want this to be it." And they were like, "Yeah, we don't want to wait around to see if this one's good enough to merit a sequel. Yeah. So let's just wrap it all up in this movie." There could, you know, again, there could be mo- there could be more Myers movies, but not in this universe because he's been in jail for the last like forty know. years. You can't go back and say, well, he was out there yes, menacing the this other town or whatever. Well, it's, it's possible that the producers are are celebrating another twentieth anniversary of telling Jamie Lee Curtis that, that Laurie will have a finale, like they did in H two O. Yeah. And then they lied. Well, they always lie. They could be lying again here. That's, that's, those are Hollywood producers, baby. Yeah, of course. You um, can't trust these Hollywood producers. We've learned no. anything in the last year. You can't trust Hollywood producers. Hey, if I've learned anything with uh, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, I, I don't trust anyone with money. So uh, <laughs> Literally, uh, you know, any human being with money. I, hey, easy. Easy. We're not <laughs> going right. to spoil too much easy for you. Blue. It's a, lot, a very easy. secretive movie. One thing that I will toss out there. What if they caught the wrong guy at the end of Halloween in, their, in this new mythos? And that the real Myers is, is is still out there. Nah, so they've that. actually had this fake person that's been... I mean, it makes no sense whatsoever. But. Honestly, 
I would love that because then that would be a total twist on the trailer. Mm-hmm. It, it would be a great misleading trailer in a good way. But I, just, I, I don't think that's going to be the case. Well, no. So there, there were some pictures that dropped. That, so the, I don't yeah. bring this up because it seems like there, there's a picture of a uh, – and spoiler alert if you don't want to know. Uh, there's a picture of what looks to be the mecha- uh, the mechanic with his head, with his mouth just kind of like jarred open with the, the teeth kind of up place. But, you know, he's bald and it kind of looks similar to the man that is in jail. So maybe he does get out. They give him this job. And that's why those people are there interviewing him still. And then the real Michael shows up, kills him, takes the takes the mechanic uniform and then continues to go back and has no. finds the dossiers, well, kills- knows Lori's still out there and goes, finds him. Well, let's talk about those photos for yeah, a second. Yeah, let's talk about those photos. <laughs> All right, so this is this is another really oh, another kind of exclamation mark that popped up over my head like I was a character in Final Fantasy VII. Mm. Uh, this is going to be a very violent movie. Uh, and I guess maybe we knew that. I don't know. I, mean, I don't know what to think of anymore with well, these they, fucking they quotes. Said, like, they said that, uh, which this is kind of disheartening to me, Dan McBride said that for all or most of the death scenes, they filmed two different versions, one of them that was really graphic and one of them that was more in the spirit of the old Halloween. And my thing is that these are being released by Rumor magazine, like a hard copy, like, like a Fangoria type thing, which means they'll probably be in the movie, right? Like they're not going to, they're not going to publish uh, stills that aren't going to be. No, not, not necessarily, necessarily, Dan. I, I feel like, I feel like in, in years past, we've seen horror movies promoting stuff. You can go online and you'll see, yeah. oh, what's what, like it, for instance, like Friday 13th part two, they had that still in magazines of the spear going through the, the couple making love. That's not in the movie at all. I mean, so it's also that infamous uh, photo that used to be on like every Halloween site that has Myers in the living room with like the ceramic pumpkin that's like on a, a, like on top of like the fireplace, mm-hmm. and that's not in any of the movies whatsoever. It was just yeah. like a promotional yeah. photo. But I I'm, I'm I'm kind of leaning more on like these are like the actual photos from the movie, which is well, that's fine. But if they if they shot two different versions, then it's anybody's game. But by the time mm-hmm. this movie comes out, whether yeah. or not they use those, yeah. fo- I mean, those footage, uh, that footage, yeah, either they're going to be in the movie, or they're not at this point. Well, the, four, the, the, four photos, the four photos that we got, five photos, I think. Um, one, That's just four. It's just four? Okay, so. Yeah, two of them are bloody as fuck. Well, why don't, why don't you take the first one, Dan? Sure. So we see what looks to be a policeman who is, um, has been killed in the backseat of his cruiser, maybe, and uh, he has some kind of pipe jammed through his head. His throat has been slit, like ripped open slit, and in his lap <laughs> is the severed head of someone else, and the head has been hollowed out, and had a what looks like a candle placed inside to look like a jack o' lantern. So it's uh, it's pretty graphic. No, no, look, I'm not against. I mean, some of my favorite horror movies are really graphic. Of course, of course. The only thing that worries me a little bit if is if the whole point of this movie is that it captures the spirit of the original and it's Halloween retold and all this. I'm like, why do we need that? I'm not saying it can't be scary, but I don't want the brute force caveman Bigfoot wrestler Michael Myers that we got in Rob Zombie's movies. That's just not. It's not Michael Myers to me, and it just becomes so less spooky when he's brutal over just cat-like and, and stalking, you know? Right. And that kind of set dressing is way too time-consuming. Like, you know, we always joke about him cutting the sheets out in Halloween mm-hmm. and putting them over his head to pretend to be Bob. So we're supposed to think that he took the time to, like, eviscerate the interior of this cop's head but keep the exterior <laughs> intact where the skin is still fine. And then be able to place a candle inside of the head, 
so light emanates from its eye sockets and mouth. Yeah, what, so and then I, balance it on the lap. I kind of hope that to keep with the Halloween spirit, he took the stuff that was inside the head and, you know, like cooked them in the oven. <laughs> <laughs> and made some seeds, yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I got to look at this picture again, but when when I first saw it, I... I I thought it was another Myers mask, but it's not. No, it's not. It's a severed head. Which yeah, is it looks like very it, disappointing. The hair yeah, does a... look that. Well, and the thing is, too, is like Halloween Two is pretty violent, but I don't know. There's a there's a certain restraint to it, you know. I mean, I, I just worry that they're o- the only reason they're going this far with the violence is to stay in that kind of not just Blumhouse, but just the current horror climate we're in, where with torture porn and just everything has to be so bloody, you know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying this isn't like a deal breaker for me by any means, but it is a little weird to see just how visceral and gross they've, they've gotten with it well the next photo is even worse which is i don't know if it's any worse but it's pretty jarring also the mechanic which is where we presumably believe he's going to get his overalls because that's that's myers mo mm-hmm. is to go into these gas stations and just ruin someone's day <laughs> uh, is he takes this guy's head and just bludgeons it into what appears to be just the work desk. I do like and, the colors, though. Yeah, I do, too. The colors are great. It's got a very 70s aesthetic to it. But uh, the mouth or the jaw is just absolutely torn. It looks like he like ripped it open like King yeah. Kong does to the T-Rex it, or something. Are, are, are we sure that's the mechanics? In the trailer, isn't the mechanic face down on the ground when the documentarian discovers him? Yeah, but he's done, yeah. He's not, he doesn't have the, the clothes on anymore, so he could have moved them. Yeah, because oh, okay. he, he, he still has that's his overalls true. in this photo. Yeah. So that's fun. I want to make this clear to people that might be screaming at us listening. We love horror movies. We love violent horror movies. Yeah. It's just, does this fit with what we want from a, a, a reimagining of Halloween? And then for me, less is more yeah. with this series. Also, it, I love Dawn of the Dead, but you can't bring that aesthetic to a Halloween movie. Also, Rob Zombie already did this. It's true. Right, yeah. The excessive, over-the-top, yeah. in- incredible violence. Yeah, you it's know. ridiculous. Um, and then the third one is, Dan, you want to take this one? Since you're start- Are you looking at it, Mac, also? Yeah, go for it. You take this one. The third one is just another still um, f- from inside the room. You see the the ghost sheet uh, over the, the possible body, and you see the jack-o'-lantern in the fish tank again. I still love that um, shot. I do, too. It's a great shot. It's nothing we haven't seen before, but, you know, still love to see I, it. I do, I do notice something on the ground. It looks like it's either a, uh, a brontosaur or an apatosaurus or possibly <laughs> a plesiosaur. Wait a minute. Maybe. An aquatic plesiosaur. Is there? Is this a Jurassic World uh, tie-in? That's what I'm. It could be. Hey, Universal Blumhouse. It could be. Could be. Yeah. Uh, After you see this new film, it it could very well be uh, taking place in this house. Yeah, it's a haunted house, spooky (laughs) thriller. Mm. Both of them are. Uh, The the fourth one is uh, pretty uh, pretty subtle compared to the other three. It just shows what I believe is Will Patton. Yeah, I think so. And he's come upon one. Discovers another cop dead on the ground. Yeah, it's a bad day for cops in Haddonfield. And oh well. Dan- Danny McBride has said they have confirmed that Myers' body count in this one is a lot higher. Which I'm uh, honestly I'm okay with that just because we, we've talked about this. But in his initial attack, he killed three teenagers on Halloween night, the gas station attendant, and then he killed Judith Myers years before that. So I'm I'm fine with it being a little bit more of an amplification of of how many people he killed. Because if you look at Halloween two from the seventies, he kills a shitload more people than that in the first one. But I am thinking, like, man, how many goddamn policemen does he kill in in this movie? Well, uh, you, you want to couple that with like Halloween four and five? I mean, the, yeah, seriously, the blood, he's killed a lot of cops in these movies. Yeah, I'm just, it's surprising. <laughs> cops. Jesus, it's, it's surprising that Haddonfield's able to enlist anyone into their police department. I mean, why would you want to? <laughs> well, like, I don't know, man. Uh, you know, he's killed. He killed like literally a dozen cops last yeah. year. <laughs> and here's another strange thing: 
if he's this brutal and able to kill all these people, how did, how did they keep him in this sand asylum for, yeah. f- for 40 years? Do you know what I mean? Like, how do you not already find a way to, like, kill everybody well, and get I think out? He was biding his time. He was triggered just like just, he was in Halloween. Yeah, you know? Well, and that's that's interesting. I think that if, if they're just saying that like, he's kind of dormant and then he and then he sees the mask and it brings it all back or something, that's one thing. Yeah. But I'm um, assuming that's what they're going to go for. Yeah, yeah. But again, I'm just so tied into the fact that they're related. It's so it's still so hard for me to remember. Like, oh no, eliminate that mythos. It doesn't exist anymore. Because again, I grew up on the Halloween TV version where it's established in that movie even that they're related. So it's so hard for me to just say, throw it all away. He's just leaving. He's escaping again because it just so happens to be 40 years since he last broke out. And and he's just, it's really really hard. Again, for the casual fan, I'm sure it's easy to just. Say, oh, I know Halloween, Michael Myers, and Jamie Lee Curtis, but I'm I'm, I'm still having a, a problem dismissing everything. I just am. Well, because and and the whole storyline with that would just be that he's coming back to Haddonfield because that's where he's he killed his sister originally, and he just wants to kill people again. And then I think that when he sees Laurie, he remembers her from being mm-hmm. the one that got away, and then probably goes after her. But I don't think he's going back for her. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. in this version, he's probably just going back to the town in which he committed this murder. And is killing more babysitters, and that's fine. Again, I, we see so much in that trailer, so yeah. I'm assuming yeah. it's possible that when he's in the second floor and he sees her, maybe that's the first time he actually sees her and remembers maybe. her. Yeah, that'd be cool. Which is fine. That yeah. makes that would make that would make sense. Would also be cool is you know David Gordon Green started acting a little like David Fincher, and uh, we went into the mind of Myers like in Fight Club, and we see <laughs> what sparks done, that. We, we already uh, did that in Halloween too. Uh, Zombies Halloween too. Oh, oh that yeah. is true because he has already, the, the already, dreams. Yeah, and all. The, the his mother goading him into killing all these people. I just want a really cool CGI brain. Uh, you know, <laughs> Windows ninety five. Oh screen yeah, saver kind of, sort of like thing. like Michael Mann's Black Hat. Like we go and see yeah. like the circuitry at work. Totally. <laughs> like he sees the mask and it zooms into his head and you just see all these things light up and flare and these like little pumpkins and inside then, his and head. Then he, and then he sees he sees young Laurie and then it like morphs into Laurie. He's like, oh, it's the same girl. Well, you know, David Gordon Green is playing tribute to all the Halloween movies so maybe when he sees Laurie the Moody Blues Nights in White Satin will kick in oh I'd like that I actually like that scene a little bit the Nights in White Satin I love the song well if we love it or we hate it there's one person we have to thank or send hate mail Donnie Darko himself Jake Gyllenhaal oh yeah because according to one of the more you know recent interviews with Jamie Lee Curtis she pointed to Gyllenhaal as the reason why she got involved in this project. Uh, she calls him her unofficial godson. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. So I'd like to be the godson. He, he, had wor- he obviously worked with David Gordon Green. On Stronger. And, yeah, and said, hey. He said it was one of the greatest experiences he's ever had as an actor with working with a director. You know, I mean, I can't fault him for that. No. I, I would, I, if I had the chance to work with Green, I'd do it too, you I know, totally whether would. it was a Halloween movie or whatever. Yeah. be a remake of the abyss or something i don't know i'd still watch it he, he felt so i wouldn't go there he felt so insistent about this that he actually sought out curtis while she was like vacationing up in the mountains uh, with uh, her husband christopher guest and i bet i bet i bet he knocked on the door and they're like what the hell are you doing out here? yeah <laughs> we're, on I, I love, we're on a vacation i do love this uh i love this idea uh, but yeah because apparently they're on vacation and i guess they're getting semi-close to shooting david gordon green was like you have to go do this jake like i love the idea of him, like hiking through the snow 
with like a big mountain beard and, and i'd like and, to and see that movie fishing. yeah that would yeah. actually i would actually rather see that Swe- film sweeping overhead shots of of joan hall in a winter coat trekking through the mountains to find jamie lee curtis you know we could it actually sounds like rob zombie's halloween too it does it does, <laughs> it does. he's got the long beard and you have those, yeah, that the lord of the rings trek oh jesus <laughs> apparently curtis said that uh green reminded her of like the early years working with carpenter so yeah when, and because so Jake Gyllenhaal just done what's that movie called? He had just done with David. Stronger, Gordon, the, stronger, stronger. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. Which is based uh, on I, like the Boston bombing. Yeah. I'm going through and w- watching. I'd I'd seen about half of David Gordon Green's movies. So I'm going through and watching. I've never seen Manglehorn or. Uh, oh, it's great. Uh, it's great. It, 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 did he do Joe? Am I making that yeah, up? Yeah, right? he did Joe also. Yeah, I haven't seen Joe. Yeah, but I just watched all the Real Girls the other day, and so I don't know. His, his filmography is so interesting. So I'm I'm still really curious about this. I want to. I actually want to hear Christopher Guest's opinion on Halloween. Like I was. <laughs> I always forget that they're married, like, because he seems like such a grump in real life. I just wonder what if he's like, like, like Jamie. Why are you doing this? These ho- this horror trash again? Come do a mockumentary thing. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll see. It is interesting that she's never appeared in any one of his uh, mockumentaries. But I'd like to see him in this film as like a policeman or something. Oh, that'd be amazing. Know? Or I'd like to see him reprise his role as Nigel Tufnell and and come in. Uh, <laughs> And you know, you know, play some rock and roll for us uh, in Haddonfield. Yeah. You know, D- Christopher Guest, one of his earlier roles, he was in Death Wish. Really? Yeah, he's the uh, like the night. Uh, he's one of the. What do you call it when you get checked into prison at night? Like the night clerk, I guess it is. Whatever it is. I'm sure. Know. Yeah. Anyway, that's right. Yeah. That's who he's yeah. in that. There was my knowledge of the law. <laughs> was there a line he says where he's like, "Jesus ain't got nothing to do with this place"? He, no, he, I think Charles Bronson comes in. And he's like, "He did it." No. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, other than that, uh, I think the last little bit is that it was confirmed that John Carpenter is working on the score. Yeah, he's even been on Twitter in the studio talking about how he's doing the score now. Granted, he hasn't talked about Halloween since the trailer dropped at all. So, <laughs> but he has talked about the Lakers and some video games since then. So take it, take that uh, as you will. Well, yeah. I also think you've got to you've got to wait till enough of the movie's finished where you have something to put a score to. Uh, and I, he's such a visual guy. I feel like he probably would want to see like an early cut. However, I mean, how much is going to be new? Uh, is it just going to be variations of the theme that he's changing it up? It's, but like most of it's not really, you know, is he actually doing the entire score? Is someone helping him? Like, is, like are we gonna, are, is all this stuff going to be coming out where it's like mostly this other guy and then he just kind of tweaked the Halloween theme? Do you know what I mean? Could be like the Nick Castle situation, well, you know, but in the right, way. like he just came in to kind of like oversee and tweak some things, but it was mainly this other guy's score. I, I don't still know. Would not have would not minded if if uh, Trent Reznor came back because I, oh, I, yeah. I still love I love that version he put out of it, and if they had and, and that had just enough tweaks to the original theme, but but enough of its own identity to really work. Like I, I would not mind if him and Atticus Ross came and did the music for it, but I mean I would hope John Carpenter's not me- messing with it too much. Like I don't think you really need to, you know. Well, it seems like Cody Carpenter took one of the photos, so maybe he's working with Cody again. I'm pretty sure he is working with his son. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that should be something. cool. Well, that's good because and, I, I I dig all the I dig all the revamps of the original themes for on the anthology album that came out. So it could be just like for a new new generation. He also has a cat with him too. So mm. Ooh, the cat's like working on it as yeah, well. There's a black cat in there. Hopefully, it's oh. a lucky cat though. Yeah, black I know because black cats aren't very lucky. All the Hope time. there are any ladders over there. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah. He breaks a mirror, sitting, breaks sitting a mirror. over the piano. Yeah. Well, I think we're we're about done with Hello Green right now. Is that it for the updates? Yeah, we're gonna go f- from this film to oh yikes. Well, I'll let's head on down to the basement, head down to the Smiths Grove 
archives. Are you all right? You're all right? Yes, I'm okay. He's gone. He's gone from here. The evil is gone. I, I got it. Where do we begin with well, this movie? They didn't really have a lot of time making this one. And no. Clearly shows, as we've already hinted at in a lot of these intros, but... Good Lord. Do you want to start this one yeah, off? I've got some information here. So Halloween 4 was actually a big hit when it came out. People mm-hmm. were really happy to see Michael Myers return to the big screen. came out in late 88. Um, so, of course, instead of definitely planning out a follow-up to be released, you know, a couple years, give themselves some time, they decided to start pre-production immediately, and, sh- and they started shooting without a finished script. The movie Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers, came out only a year after the fourth movie's release. And get ready for this one. Shem Betterman, which is one of the all-time great names. Great name. Not an alias, an actual name. Uh, He also uh, most recently wrote Lifetime's Whitney biopic, directed by Angela Bassett. He turned in the draft of Halloween 5 that had Jamie as the new killer. Wow, because that's what they set up. And that's what they set up. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. But the Akkads were like, nah, it's not going to work, bro. They always make everything And so Michael Jacobs came in, and he's ultimately responsible for most of the script. Bitterman is still credited, but another co-writer on the movie is director Dominique Othanen Gerard. I think I pronounced that right. Yeah. And he is responsible, <laughs> here we go, <laughs> for making Jamie mute and, ha- and making her have visions. That was all Othanen Gerard. This is truly a stitched together movie. Oh, totally. I don't know if anybody wants to jump on. I guess some other behind the scenes stuff. Well, but any comments we, so do, far? Do we want to comment at all on that other? I don't think the actual script was written for it, but that pitch that you shared with us, the Franken, that leaned even more into the Frankenstein elements of it. Yeah, well, I mean, he, Dominique was very big on having a lot of the old classic tropes of oh, yeah, horror that, movies, yeah. which is why you have oh, yeah, weird we have shit in here like the clown Keystone cops. cops. And Frankenstein and, and, and the, uh, the hermit was supposed to be Doctor Death, Doctor Death, which was why we. Which, so they had, a, yeah. So originally they had this like character actor playing this this character Doctor Death who was really into witchcraft and <laughs> Satanism and all this and and the, it, like the, the cave like was just or the cave or the home or whatever it was they lived just had all this witchcraft stuff and I and he was the one that tattoos the arm mm-hmm. with the what would be the mark of thorn symbol in the future and you know does some kind of almost seance and brings him back to life which would also i mean as stupid and silly and nutso as that would have been uh it, it would it is double downing on the the idea that he's he's not a human being and that he's this force of nature which would explain a lot more of you know him just not being able yeah. to ever die but instead they decided they saw that footage i guess and were like nah this doesn't work so they decided to totally reshoot that opening and just have it be that he had been living like in and not even living just sitting there in this hermit's shack for, for a, a year, year. Not, not apparently not rotting not shitting not doing it and just sitting there oh well, yeah that's that's yeah, picking this so i can't oh, pick this God, there but it's so nuts it's still stupid and if you actually watch the scene closely though when michael kills the hermit it is actually dr death was the name of the the, the young occult guy mm-hmm. it's actually him they they you know, rips down. I think he's oh, wearing wow. almost like a reddish looking robe. There's actually stills of this character online. If you want to seek it out, just type in Dr. Death Halloween five and have a great weekend. <laughs> but, uh, but even a, but a, and then in that, in that other proposed script, <laughs> Michael was supposed to, um, 
have been resurrected but been like a kind Frankenstein's monster as creature and Loomis was going to be the only one defending him and, and kind of defending him from a lynch mob and saying, no, he's changed. See, you can change. Evil has changed. Oh, but my I don't God. God. What a dumb yeah, fucking it, idea. Wait, did, I thought one, it didn't one of you guys send that to me. Maybe, no, uh, that was not me. I, I Even I didn't know about this. Oh, and, man. I, and I read the whole Halloween 4 original script, so I don't know anything right. about this. Let me let me look this up to make sure I'm not just like... <laughs> Dan had Dan had a dream of what Halloween 5 would be. Yeah. The sad thing about this production is just... Not only was it really like stitched together, but this really is the crossroads for this franchise. Mm-hmm. Four really kind of sets things in motion in some ways by just having like the daughter and then killing off Lori and, and yada, yada, yada. But, but, but that- this one is really when you start getting this like odd mythology that was really just ha- like, again, I say the word happenstance, but it really was that because it's a hatchet job. It's a, it's a total hatchet job that actually kills the franchise in a way mm-hmm. because. The thorn thing was only there because it was part of the Doctor Death like rune symbols thing yeah. that which then that made it even more complicated. The man in black was added in later because they needed to un, they needed to make they sense needed. of all the stuff that was already initially set in motion with the Doctor Death scene that was already cut out. Yeah, they were halfway through the shoot before they even <laughs> decided to include the man in black. It wasn't then, like they were planning on, on no. they had no plans. Yeah, and people on the set were just like, who's this character supposed to be? Like they had no project no trajectory for this character at the time. No. And they said that they would, it would all the answers would be there for I'm sorry, all the answers would be in Halloween 6. Yeah. Uh, here I, I found it really oh. quick. So all right, Robert Harders, who's a screenwriter who had the same agent as Dominique. Uh, sorry, I'm going to butcher his last name if I say it. Othan and Gerard, I think. He, he did a and treatment. He, uh, he did not do a, a full script, but he did a treatment, and he I think he pitched it to the Akkads and everything. And I think this is where the Frankenstein element came from, which they still do a little bit with, like, the guy taking care of Meyer. So uh, I won't read the whole thing, but real quick. Um, he, he says that this is to Dread Central uh, last year. You've probably seen Frankenstein in the movie, but have you read the book? If not, you should. There's a different kind of horror at work in the novel, and I became very excited about trying to tell a story that evoked both Frankenstein the movie and Frankenstein the book. And then he goes on on. All right, so here's a plot synopsis. Um, Think of the Frankenstein scene when the creature meets the child by the pool of water. That's the innocence I would have loved to try to have Loomis discover in Michael after he comes back. Can Can you imagine Loomis's disbelief at even the possibility, thereby creating a terrible conflict for Loomis? How to save Michael Myers from the mob to see if he can get through to him, communicate to him, Loomis is a scientist, don't forget, and that he is capable, and often the only one capable, of understanding the depth of the evil that has existed in Michael testifies, I believe, to the depth of Loomis's own understanding of humanity. The movie would then become about Loomis trying to save Michael Myers from the mob as he gets closer and closer to reaching Michael as a human being. The movie would have to end with Michael's demise, something closer to the way it was handled in the novel, I thought. So that, that was like... I think that's where the beginnings of the Frankenstein stuff came from, but they did, obviously didn't go that way with the movie. I can imagine the Dread Central person saying, "Oh, Frankenstein, uh, who wrote that?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but the difference, but the difference between that is the Fra- Frankenstein's monster was always brought into this world by this madman. It wasn't his fault. He was always a misunderstood monster. This is not the same thing. This is a, a killer. This man has killed people. He's not like he wasn't like always misunderstood. This, oh, it wasn't his fault. This would have been the equivalent of let me. Throw something out here. Uh, let's say that there was a movie that had raptors and they were horrifying, and then you make the, and then you make the raptors sympathetic and, and cute later on, like that, which would be absolutely preposterous and stupid. And I can't imagine any Hollywood studio doing that. It would be like that. You'd yeah, be really would. Michael Myers making. Like, what's the series now? Oh, was it one of those things where it turned out we were the villains all along? No, awful, awful. I awful. mean, the, the another thing that's really 
sad to think about is that Dominique was suggested by Deborah Hill, and that was literally the last thing that she did with this franchise. Because I guess she had met him at Sundance Film Festival mm-hmm. and thought that when he and he, he had done a movie before this that I think was actually pretty acclaimed as like an underground gothic horror movie I think uh, I could be wrong so like I could see True. why they would put faith in me yeah. and I I will say you guys are gonna balk at this I think oh boy my my writing wise of course this movie is a mess I will say we'll get and we'll get to it later. I do think he actually does have some style as a director, just like atmospherically and everything. I, I don't, I don't agree with the choices like they made with Frankenstein and the cops and the rest of it, but like he does have some flair. It doesn't feel like Halloween Resurrection or anything to me. I don't, I don't know if you guys agree with that. No, I not. do agree with that to a point. I really do. I, I think do that too. there are some actually, there are some really well filmed sequences. I think the basement sequence is really good. I think there's a lot of just noticing at this time around a lot of the handheld stuff. It really works well. I think Rachel being stalked in the house is really well done. Yeah, easily the scariest scene. But the this. problem is, as a director, you're also responsible for pacing and delivering the story. <laughs> that and, is true. and you can have, it was, I don't want to keep bringing up Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, but, you know, <laughs> Jay Bayona is, is a very good director. Mm-hmm. He made this movie called The Orphanage years ago. Really yeah, it's frightening, it's good, yeah. psychological thriller, ghost story type thing. Um, he also did this movie. I always forget the name of this fucking movie. The uh, the tsunami movie. Oh, oh the return. Impossible. Oh, impossible. The impossible. Yeah. The impossible. Yeah. Again, terrific director. If the story isn't there, you can only do so much. And and he's responsible for a lot of this story as well. That's the problem I've got with him is that he yeah. was responsible for the whole new Jamie subplot. Like, let's talk. Let's go ahead and just start talking about the director. He's behind the scenes. Let's talk about him a little bit here. Uh, I think the decision to mute one half of the best part of Halloween 4 and then kill off the other half in the first 20 minutes was a colossal mistake. But Especially when you are going to replace <laughs> Rachel I... with the series' worst uh, protagonist, I guess you could say. Yeah, easily the worst. But we can talk about her later on. But anyway, what, what, do you, what else do you th- think about, um, good or bad, Othan and Gerard's direction? I mean, I, I actually do like the fact that he does keep Michael traditionally in the shadows throughout the most of the movie there's some you know jarring eerie stuff that you know even when the morons are out there like the moron teenagers are out hanging um alongside the children's hospital and you see him just in like the in the, the woods or whatever yeah. even though a lot of those shots are a little kind of clumsy like they're just like hey don uh just stand over by that tree <laughs> and he's probably don is actually probably so tired at that point because they were reshooting so many goddamn scenes you, you just see him just kind of standing there it doesn't yeah, even look he, like he's he, looking at them. It just kind of he's just kind of standing there. It's just, it's he there. like shambles a little bit as Michael Myers. Like I don't I don't necessarily dislike his Michael, but but yeah I, I agree. Like he he does return to um, putting Myers in the periphery in, in a yes. way that Four gets away from a lot, which, yeah. which I do appreciate. Yeah, no. yeah, and you go. Uh, no, yeah, I was just gonna say that I I don't think that he's without. I just I think like, like Justin was saying though that. If you don't, if you if you're not handling the story correctly, and and, and the problem is they rush this thing. I mean, I mm-hmm. think that if they had given him a finalized script and all that stuff, it, it's very possible you could have brought a good movie to the table. But yeah, it, it's it's just a, a real mess. I, I do. There's a lot of those scenes that do work. Um, the only thing I will say is that he created, and and you get this in the documentary that they they were a real uh, cast that seemed like a family you know they spent so much time with each other and you can you can feel it doesn't feel like all over the place you feel like these people live in this town and they are friends and 
and you do get that sense um it's just sad that it's wasted on this mess of a movie well, and, they're, and they're and they're all such it's weird like the teenagers are, are they're consistent in tone but that tone happens to be that they're all goofy idiots and, and, nuts, and that yeah. like and it's consistent throughout and the same thing with the cops and i think maybe the director does suffer a little bit from because he's this artsy french director but i think he does suffer a little bit from kind of throwing everything in there you know and like not not being a good editor like let's like oh let's just try this and like even even the keystone cops thing with the, these two bubbling cops if you just took out those sound effects and the music that would work a lot better because they're not acting that over the top but when you have this like Wee! And, and these like slide whistles and stuff it just all gets very confusing yeah i want to focus on that for about 35 minutes when we get to the score section because i have a lot to say about the keystone cops bits um, I, I think it's it's honestly like a guy that probably came in a little too young and he was given the reins on something that was incredibly rushed. Mm -hmm. And you it, know, it's kind of ironic that his name is literally spelled wrong in the opening credits. You're right. <laughs> like that is so <laughs> emblematic of this movie that the director himself, the guy at the wheel who is clearly driving this huge giant fire truck down main street it's on crashing <laughs> into one building after another. That's the visual metaphor I can give for this movie and his direction. His name isn't even spelled right. I mean, that's just such a fucking cherry on the top. If there ever was a pumpkin on the top, actually. Another film that reminds me of this is, is alien four. Yes. When they brought in Jean-Pierre Jeanette, a fantastic foreign film director and just didn't <laughs> quite understand what these movies used to be and what they are. And I also attribute that to Joss Whedon's like kind of, you know, fun script, I guess. Um, and just not now, no one being on the same page and just like being this mess of a story that was just cobbled together. And, you know, it's just that the pieces just didn't come together. The puzzle just didn't fit. It's almost an early example of, you know, somebody who makes a, a respected kind of small indie film and is asked to enter a big franchise, like a Colin Trevorrow, for example. Um, and it just doesn't work, right, Dan? You know, what I mean, <laughs> but, the, but but it's also it's also telling in the sense that like he doesn't even appear in these documentaries, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. and like it doesn't seem like anyone on the set actually really did like working with him, uh, you know, Don Shanks. Well, I don't think so. I think I think a lot of people enjoyed. It. I think a lot of the actors had a great relationship with him. Really? Because like he Donald, was really fun to work with. Well, and, Donald Pleasance had disagreements it. with him and Akkad. I think saying Donald that like <laughs> that like no, but he he. he but he said that he like he was like he she should have been all evil. wasn't a fan of this script. Neither was Harris. Neither was you know Ellie Cornell. Yeah. I mean nobody was really behind the story at all. And it was very it was so haphazard to the point that you know I don't think anyone even had any time to even get in, in, involved in this script or whatever. And that translates on screen. Like you don't ever get the sense that anyone has any idea what is going on, which is why Loomis looks like a raving lunatic in this movie. Oh, he's nuts in this movie. Like yeah. absolutely nuts. And then Ben Mika at the end is just like, he's directing a commando that would have been like, you know, charging through Isla Nublar. Like I just, <laughs> like, we're going to keep this Jurassic Park oh, related. Really <laughs> but it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's batshit crazy. Everything that happens in this movie and nobody has a clue what's going on. Like who's even the main doctor of this clinic that Jamie's in. There's like four different doctors. There's like, it's just, it's insane. It's a kind nurse. A yeah. kind nurse that appears randomly, a, a child that dresses up as a pirate all the time, and <laughs> and again, who, in terms of the set design, we we point this out in our intro, but if you look closely, there's an exterior shot of the children's hospital, and it says Haddonfield Children's Clinic, but there's no apostrophe for children, so it's just children's plural with no apostrophe. <laughs> there's no possessive there. It's just children, it's ch as though children's is the plural of children. I, it's 
uh, get, the attention yeah, to detail the, is just is wild. The lack of, I, I should say. Yeah, I got the idea from the that documentary that uh, you know the actors were all very young, and I think they viewed the director as kind of this just like eccentric art house director, and they thought it was kind of entertaining. Right. And I think Daniel Harris even says at one point. You know, she was excited to be back and do another Halloween movie, especially where she was even more of the center of attention. But she didn't really know what was a good script and what wasn't. And, and like what you were saying before, Mac, with all the kids, the teenagers kind of living in the same universe. Um, according to that documentary, they uh, they like to party a lot together. Oh, that's that what we're referring to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, was, they were they were hanging so, out. Yeah, I think uh, so. Yeah, I, th- I think th- I I bet it was probably a fun shoot. You know, but um, right, right. I don't know if any of them were new. I don't know if any of the younger actors knew better. You know, yeah. I think they were probably just running around. Oh, absolutely, like, it's the Ocean's Twelve of the Halloween series. Like everybody's <laughs> having a great time, but we're not. Well, this is still the lowest grossing Halloween film. It's still made pretty well, though, right? I mean, it's still it's, oh, no, no, no. This bombed. Yeah. I mean, this was, it made $11 million. Wow. But it only cost $6 million to make. I mean, yeah. This, so they compared they made it to Halloween the... 4 success, which was number one, I think, at the box office. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, which is kind of crazy to think about because, I mean, I guess it makes you wonder, all right, so if Halloween 4 did so well and then Halloween 5 does disastrous, like, I, I did, was it just the power of reviews that really killed this movie? Like, not really, because the other ones hadn't, didn't have great critical acclaim either, which means, which makes me wonder if, if everyone was so excited to see Myers return to Halloween 4 and they actually didn't even really like that movie. Because, no, I, I why think, wouldn't you come back for the fifth one then? Well, like, I mean, uh, it's not 11 million, that's nothing. I think it's more like we're dealing with right now today, the, the oversaturation. I think that they followed up so quickly and put it out immediately. There was no time for people to get excited again about seeing another Michael Myers film. And I think that on top of that, and then seeing or hearing from people that it wasn't any good, I'm sure just people just was lackluster about checking it out. Well, I do, I do take it back a little bit. Halloween 4 only made like 17.7 million, and yeah. then this one made 11. That's like a $6 million difference, which at the time is the time, pretty substantial, though. though. Yeah, that's it, like well, a few weeks. for low-budget indie, I mean, not indie, but like, yeah, low-budget horror movie, I think that's a, a pretty big difference. If you only return, for instance, 67% of what your predecessor made, that's considered a not a success, I guess. Uh, well, here, I, I know I walk forward a little bit, because the, the, the Halloween 5 was released on October 13th. Uh-oh. Whereas Halloween Four was released October twenty first, which means that this Less had an extra goddamn week in the Halloween season to make money, and they still didn't. Do it. You know, it's just. Uh. But at the same time, eighty nine, all of the old classic horror movie franchises were kind of struggling at this point. Like, yeah. how, like Friday the Thirteenth, I think this point was almost dead. Uh, yeah, they were done in terms of the classic series. The, the Paramount series was and, done. And I want to say Nightmare 5 came out in 89 also. That was Dream Child. So, yeah. And that didn't do very no, well either. Didn't. And that was, but Which is kind of sad because actually that movie is pretty imaginative. Yeah, but we'll, yeah. we'll do we'll that in our that future in, Nightmare on Elm Street yeah, podcast. We'll if you want to hear it, let us know. We'll be happy you know. to do it. Anyway. Um, but yeah, this is, this to, to for me, like I, I do put the blame solely on the director for this film. Yeah. Absolutely. I think... The, the major dings against the other directors. To go back to Max's point about saturation, if we want to get inside Hollywood for a second here, I think with the, for instance, the Friday 13th films, which, which were coming out once a year, I think you're conditioned for those movies, right? And f- the Marvel films, you're conditioned to expect one every six months, right? Mm-hmm. With Star Wars, we were conditioned for a long time to wait three years. And then we waited decades for these movies to come out. So when you're getting them every six months or every year, that's when the saturation sets in. And on that point, maybe people were not, wa- uh, were not ready for a Halloween movie to be coming out that soon. Well, think about the nature you know? of the, the, the story. 
It's about this guy who comes back yeah. after a long period of time. Yeah. Like, even if you think about the gap between Halloween 1 and 2, that was 78, it's three years. years. That, was a, that was a Star Wars gap. Yeah. Three years. And it's the same day. And it's the same day. So, it's so not that like works. Yeah. But then Halloween 4 is literally 10 years. Well, not 10 years. It's about seven years after. No, the, well, seven years after. Years it's, it's, it yeah. is 10 years in the story, but seven years after the, the second one. But... Yeah, I do think that maybe, maybe there did need to be some gap, which is why by the time uh, the Curse of Michael Myers came out, people were people were ready to book their trips back to Haddonfield. So um, that was a long. I think that's the yeah, only thing that that I mean helped that movie was again the anticipation. I mean, we were flipping out when we saw that stuff. Yeah. But we'll talk about that obviously yeah. in the future. All right, so <laughs> we'll obviously be talking a lot about the director, the production, the performances, and of course the score and writing as we go along. So speaking of the score, though. Let's turn the radio dial to the sweet, sweet sounds and tunes of WKNB. Fiber. 17-year-old Lori Strode was found directly across the street from the home where the murders took place. The teenager was taken across town to Haddonfield Memorial Clinic. Where do we start with this? Well, Alan Howarth. Who did a terrific job with Halloween 4. Mm-hmm. He had some yes. great, great incidental music to that. He had already come aboard with Halloween 2, added the synth, the synth tracks to that. Good job. Do you right. do you picture uh, a Howarth like in like kind of like the Joey Gladstone type T-shirt with like some you know Glenn Frey style glasses, just like sitting there with those smoky shades, and he's got a cigarette going. He's just like, "Hey, John, come in here, check out this track." And John's sitting there like playing Atari, and he's just like, uh, "What do you got, Alan?" And he's like, uh, "Check out what I added here." He's like, Ugh, "What are you kidding me? We added since uh, we've had since from day one, not like this." <laughs> he comes in, and he's then, like, Ooh, yeah, that's, and that's he's smooth, like, Howarth. Uh, put away those. Those little wimpy keyboards and pianos, because I want to start bringing out the electric guitar. <laughs> He's like, John, not yet. Well, have you guys seen the video? Is, is, is it both of them in the Big Trouble in Little China video? Yes, of course. <laughs> that's pretty much what they look like. Yeah, that's, the, I, I, which is why I, I still just, do. God bless them. Just picture Howarth just like four in the morning. He's like coked out of his fucking brain. I don't even know if he did coke or whatever. Who knows? But he's just sitting there. He's just like, John, they got me on five. They got me on five. It's John, been less than back. a year. You got to come back, John. He's just like, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm a little busy right now. Sorry, I'm doing Prince of Darkness right <laughs> Prince now. Prince of Darkness. <laughs> well, what's well, weird about, I think for the first time, maybe I'm wrong. I think for the first time in any of the Halloween sequels, we, we you know, you hear the theme a lot, which is fine. And we've already talked about the Keystone Cops, but like that electric guitar that plays when, um, kind of whenever the teenagers are just talking, mm-hmm. it's always like, Meow! and it's like, mm. what am I watching? Like a like a Skinamax movie here it sounds so strange and it and once again I think if you just took that out of some of those scenes like where they're uh, outside the children's hospital Michael's stalking them in the background if you just took that guitar out of that scene that would it would make it so so much better I, I have no idea what they were thinking with it yeah. I, it reminded me a little bit of like when Bobby appears in like Twin Peaks <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah and, and, it's like, getting... and it has like this weird rockabilly sort of thing where like oh. it's like you know, here's the bad boy. Yeah. And they well, have a bad boy in this, but I, yeah. I, I just, I really dislike this score. It, yeah. And and the thing that is that kills me in in the theme of oversaturation, all Hallwork does is reuse the main title theme over and in different variations of it over and over and over again. That you're so sick and tired of it. There are like. 10 other themes I feel in the original mm-hmm. Halloween yeah. that we could like Lori's theme we couldn't reprise any of these other themes or done cool new versions of that so you know the 10 billionth time you hear the Halloween theme again, it's like it's no longer scary you're just annoyed by it and mm-hmm. I referenced it earlier and it, he really goes all out with the electric guitar by the time <laughs> Curse of Michael Myers comes out but you hear it here it's it's creeping in there it's, mm-hmm. all, it's 
it's making its uh, nasty entrance. One, to, one, like, variation the I, one variation I do kind of like, because I agree with Mac. I mean, it, yeah, they, they never use the Haunted House theme. They never use Laurie's theme. It's always just the main theme over and over and over. There's one variation I do like a lot. It's where Rachel's just been murdered and Tina is looking in the house for her. And then she lays down on the bed kind of sad for a second. And you hear this, it's almost like a synthesized oboe, very slowed down version of the Halloween theme. That was like the one time where I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool and something different. I think that was called Tina's theme. (laughs) (laughs) Tina's theme. God bless her. Okay. We need to talk about the the goofy Keystone Cops music that's used whenever those two deputies are entering the, the frame. The, Alan the, Howarth the was interviewed wagging. in this documentary, and he said that he just wanted to try something different. He wanted to add a little bit of a fun little score here with some whistles and some horns honking. And the director was was trying to pay homage to Last House on the Left, which features two bumbling cops in this really nasty, I'll say it, overrated uh, horror movie from the early 70s. I, I agree. I, and yeah. the music really kills that movie. And, and, and yeah, the tonally in that movie... It also is incredibly inappropriate and incredibly jarring, and it it does the same thing here. One of the deputies was interviewed for the documentary, and even he was watching the screening thinking, uh, I don't know if we necessarily <laughs> needed this music in here. Well, and the it, cast it, and crew was also kind of, I mean, just stunned that, that they actually went ahead and included this, like, not once, but at least two or three times, I think, during the movie. It's unbelievable. But- <laughs> All clear. Nothing above, nothing below. What about Max? Adobe, right? (laughs) This is not happening to me. Max! Max, what have you done? I'm so embarrassed. It's what we're here for. Rescue cats. Find dogs. That's a job. And we love it. But did, was that Alan Howard's idea, though? I, I thought the director asked him to do that, and he was like, all right, I guess I'll do this, or, and I'll, yeah, I'll throw a little tin I whistle think, there. Well, Howard was probably instructed a little bit, but Howard, it was his decision to add, like, the over-the-top, like, whistles and a like, bang like, that, that's oh, him. Weird. That's well, him. And know what's strange is that it's not even consistently used with the deputies, which is also weird. Like, so it's, it's like, every now and then it comes yeah. up. It, it, so it doesn't, it doesn't even feel like a theme, necessarily. And the... I actually think the deputies, they keep their over-the-topness leveled enough to where, like, it's not the performances that are distracting. It's just that music. It's, like, it's so fucking bizarre. I don't think there's anything like it in any of the other Halloween movies, even the Rob Zombie movies. No, Rob Zombie is too busy, you know, recycling badass 70s music (laughs) to worry about honks and whistles. And I would say, like, in in Less House and Left, I agree. I, I think that movie's way overrated. That movie's super weird because they show these, like, actual you know rapists walking around and they're they're just playing it's not the cop scene but they're playing this kind of almost brady bunch-esque like 70s good time music it's it's super bizarre and i don't think wes craven was doing that because he was trying to be subversive or disturbing i think it was just a really a really bad decision i yeah. agree and we'll be talking about that more on um the last podcast on the left coming right. soon there is the a last right. podcast there network podcast left. Oh, oh, there oh yeah is. you're right that's, right. that's yeah. a hey shout out to them yeah uh, Any the, other dismissing comments about the Keystone Cops thing? Well, no, but Howard did say that of all the scores, th- that the the director was very hands on with the score. He was showing up a lot oh, he did during that, the yeah. recording of this. So, like once again, would not throw Dominique under the bus, but mm. uh, you know, I I feel like he 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 definitely had a vision, and he you know saw it through <laughs> for better or worse. 
Mike, any comments? So nobody in these test screenings mm. had jotted down. I was like, hey, what was that? What was that weird, bizarre Ringling Brothers music that you had? Uh, <laughs> That's perfect. Ten <laughs> minutes into this film. That's right. Nobody said anything. Like it's just it's just crazy to me. And now it's, when I think of Halloween Five, it's the first thing I, I I mention when when anyone talks about this movie. I'm like, oh, you mean the one with the the, the two idiot cops that seem to walk out of Happy Days? Jesus Christ. Yeah, there's just... that one part where he kicks the jukebox and it starts playing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice and white satin. It's that moment where that music kicks in. It's after a genuinely creepy yes. sequence and then followed up by a genuinely creepy sequence. So it just really pulls you out. Mm-hmm. You're just like, why are we doing Yeah. And it also, it really kills the idea of that sequence where you're like, you know, because what's scary about that or what's supposed to be scary, and I think it is still kind of scary, is the fact that she calls the cops, the cops come to check everything, and you're supposed to feel reassured because the cops are there. But for me, even as a kid, I never really even thought the cops were there. Well, you never think that, you're never reassured because you're like, oh, these bumbling cops... Then clearly they didn't do their job thoroughly, and you know. But if it was like two cops that like were like we checked out the entire place, like you're fine. Whereas like imagine and then all of a sudden Meeker. she's attacked. Like that would have been genuinely yeah. like. But, oh, why couldn't boy. have been? But why wasn't Ben Meeker there? It would have been the great first appearance for him to come in and be like, "Hey, what happened, Rachel?" Yeah, and then be like, you know, hey. Um, we can establish things like remember my daughter was yeah like how you I believe been. you you know and then you see him and then you know maybe maybe Rachel could have been wearing like a shirt that well, says cops fair, do it by the book again all the cops were killed in Halloween four. Oh yeah, so, so there's only these two bumbling cops are left because they're probably out getting like donuts when the when everybody's being eliminated <laughs> in Halloween Four. Well, yeah, it, it is weird because Sheriff. Me- I mean, we'll talk about more about Sheriff Meeker later, but yeah, he, he's very underused. I, f- I feel like in this movie. Oh, and we'll get to uh, him in our buds and bobs section, they, but I, I they, think it's time if we want to move on uh, to not one, not two, not three, not not six, not nine, not twelve, not fifteen, not eighteen. But Michael Myers is twenty-one. That was great. One of my favorite Kevin Spacey movies. Hey, uh, he he wears a Don Post mask, (laughs) and his name is Don. Hey. Don Shanks. Donnie Shanks. Shanks. Now, doesn't that sound like a character that would be like in a Martin Scorsese film? It sounds like a character that would be in like Eyes Wide Shut or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like in Martin Scorsese in a Martin Scorsese movie, he wouldn't be like the mafia guy, but he would be the driver or something. You know, he would be like the the hey, he would be like Bo Star's brother, Mike Star in Goodfellas. Uh, he would, that who plays Frenchie in Goodfellas. Oh, I don't know like, that. Yeah. You know, oh. you know, he would be he would be no, he would be the aggressive body or the, he would be the the bouncer outside the club says, hey, you can't come in here, and then the the person you would think is less imposing. Like grabs him by the arm and like goes, and then, hey, all right, come on in, come on in, come on in. That's Don Shanks in oh, every other okay. movie. <laughs> now, a little history behind Don Shanks. Don Shanks was the director's choice for the role. And if you actually look at the behind the scenes, Don Shanks and Dominique Othan Gerard look very similar. Oh They're both God. kind of like not heavy set, but they've got like a good build to them. And they both have um, long hair, brunette long ponytails. Hair. Yeah, very strange. Uh, according to George P. Wilbur, who played Michael Myers in Halloween 4, um, the Akkads actually wanted him to come back, but it was the director's choice to have a new Myers, even though he looks totally different from part four. We'll get into that in a second. Oh, but uh, Wilbur would return years, years, years later for Halloween Curse of Michael Myers. But uh, what, what are your takes on, on this performance? I mean, I don't mind him. I mean, he it's weird because I remember the VHS for this made a big deal about how this was when we finally unmasked Michael Myers, even though... They unmask him in the first movie. And, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you, you do, you do in, the, in both the scene where he wakes up from 
his hibernation or whatever. And then also in the, the very end, you do see, you actually do see his face a little bit more. And he, you know, he, he does have kind of a good look to him in that he's, he's big and hulking, but he has sort of a deadness in his eyes and it's kind of a youth to him. Um, we mentioned this before. I think he's actually really good in all the physical scenes, uh, j- just like he embodies that stillness really well. However, in some of the periphery scenes where he's just in the background, and I don't know if this is him or the directing, he just kind of like meanders around a little bit. Like he seems a little yeah. bit tired. And I, I don't know if that that's a result of the, the shoot or what. It, it's both in that scene where they're outside the children's hospital, but also when he, uh, he kills Mikey, the boyfriend, he just kind of walks out of the alley and it's just very <laughs> like, ah, ho hum. You know, it's only a few scenes in the movie. So I think when he does his more physical stunt work, he works really well as Michael Myers. But when he's just in the background, I'm a, I, I prefer my boy George Wilbur, I think. What, what about you guys, though? I, I, I think I actually like the mask in this one more than part four. I think part four has got the worst too. mask. But I think George Wilbur is ultimately a better Michael Myers. We'll get into that, I think, in mm-hmm. the next movie. Yeah. I just miss, I will always miss the. The cat-like reflexes of Dick Warlock from Halloween 2. Yeah. I think that he still captures that gait perfectly. And like you said, Dan, I think he does kind of just feel like he's just kind of stumbling around from shot to shot. Um, I also just I don't like the fact that, once again, we are bulking up Michael Myers to be this Kane Hodder figure yeah. from the Friday the 13th films. And we're trying to make him this larger-than-life, unstoppable force as opposed to just a, a seemingly normal-sized human that could just blend in with anybody yet is also an unstoppable force. I think it's just a it's a cheap a cheap way out of convincing your your public that this is a this is a real badass killer and watch out, here he comes, you know. I guess I just wonder what the hell did Dominique see in him that he was so insistent on having him involved. Because like prior to this he was in Spirit of the Eagle, which came out that year, so it wasn't even prior. He was construction worker number one on Stranger on My Land, this T V special. He's in a lot of T V stuff. He was in Silent Night, Deadly Night as like a Santa climbing in a window. Um, he, he was in Sweet Sixteen as J- Jason Longshadow, Revenge of the Ninja. I mean, just, what did he? What is he seeing? Like he's like, we got to get this guy. Well, we have a guy that he's waiting in the shadows to well, be called thing, he... John Longshadow, like that movie he was in. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. and like I said, yeah, Don Shanks isn't bad, but yeah, it, it it seems like a weird thing to be that stubborn about when you already have someone who's equally as good and. and it is weird with the mask because I do like this mask a little bit better just because it has more of a, of a shape to it. And it's funny though because it looks completely different from four. And I guess their their justification of that was, oh well, when he got blown out in that mine shaft and went down that creek, the mask got you know distorted, which I can buy. However, when what's that kid, guy's name? Spitz. That's the the one boyfriend, right? The other one. Mm-hmm. When he when he puts on the Michael Myers to like play that prank at the farmhouse, it's the same it's mask. The same that mask. He, so like I, I think they even, I think they even say that in the documentary, which I know is like a really nitpicky thing. But when you start to think about, it, you're like, wait, what? That that makes no sense. And like, what? So all Michael Myers masks are altered now to look like this distorted one. Um, but I I, I do like it better. Like it, you you can they black out the eyes, which I appreciate. I like the slick back hair. It has like a cheesy like it actually I don't know, it looks almost like gross yogurt or something. <laughs> I don't know. I, I kind of like that element. Yeah, see, of it. I. I disagree. I, I don't like the mask in four, but I don't like the mask in five even mm. more. I, don't I think like it looks one. awful. The way that the the neck on this thing is like so fucking giant <laughs> and like and, and like and it, it, it's it's like he's wearing like a, a like one of those like a badminton like it is it, it's, it's just like it flows outward and it's like I'm like I'm like tuck that thing into your collar, man. You don't it doesn't even look <laughs> like that looks like he's wearing an oversized mask and uh, but he, you know, I think he did mention that 
they it kind of looks like his actual face. I don't know if they mo- kind of almost modeled it when they did mm-hmm. the pressings or whatever. I think I think he mentioned something about that, and it kind of looks a little bit more like him. I will say. I don't mind Shanks' version of Michael. I th- that's probably my little least problem I have with this film. But the it is interesting. He he did he did he did definitely bring a lot to the role. I mean, like I remember, like like some of the death scenes with the with the farming equipment. That was like his idea because he was like, well, you know, this is what you have on a farm that you could use these things, mm. and he's comfortable with that. So I think in terms of like bringing. Um, his ideas to the set, I think it's possible that he was one of the first Myers to really kind of have an active role in in some of the like how these people were killed, which I thought was kind of interesting. And he's you know he seems like a really nice guy on the in the dock, but yeah. um, he, well, he was very nice to Daniel Harris apparently on set. Like, right, very much, right. it's very much like George Wilbur. Like every time they would say cut, he would take off his mask and reassure her that everything was fine. Yeah. Also, no, Donald Shanks, Native American. Oh, yeah. I think they said he was a Cher- Cherokee yeah. Indian. So not uh, this is a woke franchise. Well, he uh, humorously <laughs> protested the idea of removing the mask because he's just like it doesn't really make any sense because uh, he's like you know well, I'm a Cherokee it... Indian. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but do you know what else doesn't make any sense is if we at the very end of the movie when Michael is in a prison cell. And he's sitting in the corner. He's like playing with his chain. <laughs> he's like, did you notice the stand when you're watching it again? Oh, yeah, he's playing. He's like sitting there like moping. He's like playing with his chains. It's most like, why couldn't we just well, have him standing looking oh. in the corner of the nothingness? Also, too, if they've arrested him, why would they keep the mask on him? Yeah, to, you know, oh, like, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's so ludicrous. <laughs> so dumb. What, what do you guys think of that um, that Neanderthal mask he wears when he picks up Tina, which apparently was supposed to be a Ronald Reagan mask, but they didn't want to make too much of a political you know, statement. Yeah. So, I kind of love it. I, I yeah, really dug freaky, it. It's freaky, actually, yeah. It reminded me of... I, I always thought it would be a cool idea, and they would never fully move away from the, the Myers mask, obviously, but even in part four when he just has like the bandages around his head and then the the uh, mechanics get up. I always thought that was really creepy. I think it's creepy in this. I, I, I kind of wish it was a, it was a movie where he, uh, was dancing around the, um, uh, different masks throughout, you know, like just like finding whatever he could, um, like a clown mask. Well, just, you know, like I, I, I think that it's, it's, he's what's scary, not necessarily the Myers mask, although the Myers mask is what we like attribute to that now. But I just feel like, that is a genuinely creepy scene, uh, you know, when Tina's like all over him and all that stuff. You're kind of like, oh, this is because you know. I'd you be know. creeped out too if, if Tina's um, all over me. Yeah. <laughs> um, about that mask, I feel like that mask actually looks a lot like character actor Brian Thompson, who played the alien bounty hunter from X Files and was in Fright Night Part Two. And is was... he in the Rocketeer? Is he the guy in the? No, Rocketeer? I don't think he's the Rocketeer, but he's also the villain from Sylvester Stallone's Cobra. So keep an eye out for Brian Thompson when you're thinking about that mask. Yeah, I, no, I do agree with you, uh, though, Dan, that the makeup or the mask looks a lot like the makeup they use for the henchman and Rocketeer. Yeah, what's um, his yeah. name? Like Tiny Ron Tiny Ron or something like that? Something like that. Yeah, Ron Perlman? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, but I, I do, there is that one really creepy moment where Tina leans over and kisses that Neanderthal mask. And it the, it makes the latex go in almost like he's angry. I don't know. I, I think that I, I think that's what I'm getting at too when I talk about the director having a little bit of style. Like that's kind of a weird moment that I don't think you would necessarily get from some of the previous directors. Right. So, yeah. True, so, true. Yeah. Um, what do we think yeah. about what do we think about the fact that at the end of this movie they've set up Jamie as bait. There are dozens of cops outside and inside the Myers house. Loomis is there and everything. Yet nobody checks the attic 
in which the door is open and yeah. there are candles lit and there are dead bodies inside the attic. Nobody thought to check that. Ah, uh, man, yeah. I, <laughs> so many problems. I think, with this. I think the, the and here's the problem. I know we were joking before when uh, when we were talking about the the new Halloween trailer, and I was saying that in genre movies, you you know you can't you can't think about this stuff too much because it just ruins it. However, but there's the different, a, yeah, there's exceptions. Well, 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 the, you know, I mean, well, and, the, and the thing is that if had this been a better movie, we wouldn't be thinking about it. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. if it was like ha, like Halloween, you know, she drops the knife, whatever. There there are some things that we. You could punch holes through, but in the immediate experience of watching, you're not really thinking about it because you're like, okay, this movie is doing so many other things right that I'm not bothered by it. But with this, we <laughs> it's established that the cops are there and they've investigated, yeah, and it's like, how would you possibly had, miss this? We've had time to think about this, and also too, when we want to talk about the Myers house, maybe also because the Myers house looks completely fucking different in this movie that you are starting to think about, like, wait, did the Myers house even have some crazy attic in the first one? Like, no. why, oh, yeah. why does it look like this gothic mansion? Well, you know, that, I think that's getting into some of the production too, but like. Since we're talking about Myers, you could talk about the Myers house as well. Yeah, of course. So they apparently couldn't find a small Victorian house like the one in Halloween, or which is not actually true because they this was shot in Salt Lake City, and so is Halloween 6. And the, the house in Halloween 6 looks far yeah. more similar to the one from the original one than this one does. So whatever. But they wanted to go for this huge mansion house because they needed you know this huge action sequence that was clearly something out of you know like a Disney cartoon where they uh, you know had the huge hallways, the big attic. Like the big basement and this huge laundry chute for like the alien style sequence with Jamie, you know, because this script, this psycho script from equally psycho director required <laughs> all this bullshit haunted house magic. They needed to get this giant fucking Gothic mansion, it's which honestly is so insane. When they first pull up, there's this implication there that you're supposed to recognize what's going on. Cause then obviously they have the cue from Howarth. That's like the Myers house theme and all, but like, well, no, what is this place? Like, and why is it in Haddonfield? Like, why would this house, this house specifically, ever exist in Haddonfield? Like, funny, funny enough, it actually looks more like the interior of Meeker's house from Part Four. You know, does. like the, the the sprawlingness of it, like the 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 stairwell, the crazy stairwell up when you know, uh, yeah, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jamie's fight or or oh Christ, what's what's the name of the guy in the? the oh, uh, uh, Brady. Brady, Brady. Yeah. Yeah. I always want to say both star. I always, I always thought that that was Brady, and then I, yeah. I realized well, it's, it's, that, it's, that was not the case. <laughs> something we also didn't bring up in the last one is that it's cool that Ben Meeker is able to pull down enough cash to to get a huge mansion in the fourth one as well. well I think <laughs> in, in small towns, though, you get a bit of a, a a pay bump because you're also you're the sheriff of a small town, but you're also Okay, I, I can get um, a small yeah, town yeah. politics on the Halloweenies podcast. Yeah, maybe he was pulling some drugs on the side or something hey, like that. You know, in that's Chicago. Pitch for the fifth one too. Michael Myers is also a drug dealer looking for revenge. You know what? I'd actually rather watch that. It w- would have been great as if like <laughs> so like eighty nine was around the same time that Miami Vice was entering its worst era. Would have been cool if we had some little crossover. Michael Myers uh, gets in, uh, maybe borrows one of Howard's uh, like Floridian type shirts and. Uh, you know, gets in, in the drug I, trade. I got a pitch for you. How about, how about Myers walks around with like brown, brown loafers, no socks, <laughs> just a jet white suit, <laughs> no no undershirt, walking around with his pet crocodile. Pet I would either. love it. That would be great. And, and then they yeah, get like, hey, <laughs> hey, Tubbs, you got a new partner. <laughs> and Michael Myers walks he's around driving. with he's this dri- mask like the ponytail. And he's driving a Ferrari. He's like, why are you really going to deep cover, huh? And then the... And then the uh, Phil Collins kicks in. Uh, yeah, well, I love it. <laughs> I uh, have a personal question to ask. Yeah. What's your favorite Big Star song? Oh, man. That's oh, a good question. That's tough. I think I know mine. Uh, my favorite. Don't think about too much. Mac, what's your favorite oh, Big Star song? I'll try again. 
Try okay. again for Mac. Mike? I like 13. Dan? I'm going to say Kangaroo from Third Sister Lovers. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. I'm going to say September Girls. I thought you were babysitting to me. The only reason she babysits is to have oh, a place shit. to... shit. I have a place for that. I forgot my chemistry book. So who cares? I always forget my chemistry book and my math book and my English book and my... Okay. All right. Where do we want to start with this one? Because there's literally two great September girls in this, and let's, the rest of them are... Let's start, start with the great. From the top. Yeah. Okay. Let's start at yeah. the top. All right. And um, we, I, I touched upon this earlier. I think the best part of Halloween 4, ultimately, is the relationship and the performances between Jamie and Rachel, uh, Daniel Harrison, Ellie Cornell. Mm-hmm. And they're back here. Uh-huh. They're back. We're excited. They, got them. they share a scene together. You believe the relationship again. You believe that despite everything that happened between at the end of Halloween 4 between Jamie and Rachel's mother, that she still loves her like a sister, and she's still close to her, and she's still concerned about her. And that's the only scene we get with them. And, of course, at this point, it's also established that Jamie is now mute, and she has visions of Michael Myers. Now, to uh, her credit, though, Daniel Harris, I think, doesn't. Like she does no. She movie. is very good She's in this. Really yes. good. Yeah. But I do think that there's a lot taken away from her in this movie too. Mm-hmm. Though I think because by doing that, you are now and then killing off Rachel, you are now focusing us. I'm sorry, you're now um, making us focus on a new character, who unfortunately is awful, and you mm-hmm. don't want to spend any time with her because there has to be some type of a vocal element to the lead, and you don't get that with Daniel Harris, but you do get it with. Uh, Wendy Kaplan is Tina, which we'll talk about later on. But what, so, what do you think about obviously um, Jamie and Rachel in this movie? This missed opportunity. Totally. I mean, like, I I don't think she was excited about it. I think she didn't understand why they were bringing her back just to have her be gone so early, just so that we could get the. I mean, why they felt the need to do that is beyond me. I mean, the events of the movie it could have easily just been her leaving with Tina and her, the friends to go to this party and then all this stuff starts happening in the town and they're unaware of it because they're mm-hmm. out they're out of this thing and she's of course trying to get away because you know Jamie's a constant reminder of all this stuff and maybe she felt like Jamie was going to be okay you know at the hospital but I don't know they could have easily worked Rachel into this way more yeah um I, I don't know maybe it was a money thing they just didn't want to pay her so they just were like oh we'll pay these like four kids nothing to be in this movie and to make them the stars i don't know i don't understand why they did it well it's like you basically have a sure thing you have a working chemistry and someone that actually wants to be back for the film and i guess their their reasoning for this was to show that like not even rachel was safe from myers wrath and, and all and which is fine. fine i get it but, but i mean you, you better have a fucking a substitute you better yes yes you better have a good replacement the whole thing doesn't make sense because She's such a cool character in four, mm-hmm. and really uses her wits and all this stuff to. Get, she's a great like like next Lori, mm-hmm. you know, and for her to be killed in the way that she does, even though it's a cool scene, in her for her to just be killed that way and just not be able. She's outsmarted him left and right in part four. The how, how she just goes back into the house and then he like finds her and kills her immediately. Like it just doesn't seem right, you know. She it's like she deserved better a better out. That's why that that Keystone Cop thing really screws everything because yeah. she does call the cops, she does call Loomis, she says, you know, and then he's like, get, you know, get out of the house, uh, get out now, get now. and uh, you know she does. <laughs> and had they had some sort of reassuring cops there and not these fucking morons, 
there would have been some understanding of why she would feel comforted to go back. Like, could you it, imagine it would be, it if would Ben more... walked her around the house and she felt reassured there, and then he actually comes out? That would just be such a great scene. It would have been made way more sense, like you said, if Meeker was there, yeah. because they have a relationship already, and then she, a trust. he could have even been like, you know, Loomis is nuts, you know, he's dead, and just reassured her, and, yes. then, and then she her guard's down. That would have made a lot more sense. Then these bumbling cops come in and reassure her. Oh, here, here's, here's an idea that I don't remember if you suggested this or if it's just in my head, but what if they had never shown Myers in the beginning of the movie and you just think it's really going to be all about Jamie the entire time and they hinted uh, that. That's, and, then oh, at the, and then that's when Myers actually first does come back is when he kills Rachel in that sequence. Well, well, so at this point was- in horror movies, we were now following the antagonist as opposed to following the protagonist yeah. and then being introduced to the antagonist later on. Like at this point, for instance, we'll go to the other big franchises. Nightmare on Elm Street, but, Freddy is the star of those movies now. Mm-hmm. It's no longer you know, like Heather Lane and Gamper and Blake. Even, Ch- even Chucky, really. Yeah, I mean, Jason, point, yeah. We're, we're, Chucky's right there at the beginning of Child's Play 2. There's no mystery. Oh, well, they show him getting built uh, again. Yeah, <laughs> but you literally see him being rebuilt. Yeah. Uh, Jason Dude. is... Yeah. <laughs> love Child's Play. Jason's, you know, obviously, you see him all the time in the later day Paramount Friday 13th films. Hey, that's all. So we're doing it again there. here. God we have any mystery element, you know? Can't. Well, but if and if they'd done that too, and even if they had decided to kill Rachel at that point, it would have given it more gravity. I think yeah. my big my big problem with Rachel's death, and don't get me wrong, as a we'll talk about in the, in later on, but as a sequence, I think it's wonderful. I mean, it really reminds me of the original movie. However, the death itself, and I think because we also focus on Tina so much the rest of the movie, it just feels disposable and like a little bit like a slap in the face to yeah, yeah the Ellie Cornell movie. And it was supposed to be really graphic too. Yeah, she I was mean, supposed to get stabbed in the mouth with scissors, but she said I, that I, that I, wasn't I, a dignified, I, and she wanted at least a little more dignified death. Which you I know, think, the heart. I think the, the scissors were supposed to get like shoved down her throat. Or yeah, something. that's yeah, right through. Yeah, the, yeah. Ugh. Which honestly, the way too. the way she stabbed in this is so realistic mm-hmm. the way he just pounces on her and just boom gets her like without even having any sort of method to it i feel like like him shoving it down her throat away it just would have been so insane whereas this was just like gotcha and i think that's effective i actually think it's the most effective death out of the entire movie it's oh, just it's the only death you actually feel yeah anything yeah. for the other ones are just, just the other ones are just there they're just dressing to be murder victims but it know? also feels more in line with like the original two movies mm-hmm. Like the way that he stalks her, and then the way that the actual death happens. Yeah, and it's in broad daylight. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, it's just it's just a shame because we're left with. Billy. Who? Wendy Kaplan is Tina. You know, Wendy Kaplan seems very nice <laughs> like, in these interviews. I, I, I want to say right off the top of the right, 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 right gate. I feel but, bad uh, ragging on her. I mean, she and I, and once again, I don't know if this is the script or the direction or her performance, but the every the whole sing songy nature of her. Holy hell, does it is it aggravating? You know, there is only there's one sequence that is kind of ridiculous and ludicrous well just one there's there's only one no but there's a scene where she is loomis is trying to tell her like he's back he's here you can't go to this thing and she kind of nervously laughs it off like oh if i could be sensible you know but like i try not to be and then she like leaves like kind of runs out I actually like her in that scene because it it feels like she's just really scared and nervous and just mm-hmm. trying to lighten the mood so that she can like 
convince herself that there's nothing to be afraid of when she really is afraid. But that's the only time I feel like her character works in this entire franchise. I like that, she, that her and Jamie have this like friendship, but she is a uh, that character is a poor stand-in for Rachel, who's so cool and level-headed, and you know, likable. Yes, yeah, likable, absolutely. I remember Mike during the movie uh, when we were when we were rewatching a couple weeks ago. You pointed out like the, the teens are actually somewhat realistic. Yeah, but yeah. It doesn't mean we want to you know spend any time no. watching a movie and watching well, yeah, teen, teens. Teenagers are they can annoying, be really annoying, you know. Yeah. And that's no, fine, um, but you can't. But I don't want to hang out with these people, and I don't want to. I want to feel some sympathy for people before they're about to be killed on screen. You know. Well, well, what, so, so, well oh, no, go ahead, Mike. Oh, well, I was going to say this is you'll like this connection, Dan. It seems like. Uh, Wendy Kaplan has a connection to our favorite singer-songwriter, Brian Wilson. No what? way. How yeah. So? She played the wife of Brian Wilson in the 1990 TV movie, Summer Dreams, the story of the Beach Boys. Never even oh, heard of this I remember watching that. Oh, mm-hmm. that's crazy. So wait, was she, she played, which wife did she play? Was she the, the was she the, um, uh, the Elizabeth Banks she character? She was Marilyn the, Wilson. She's Marilyn. Oh, mm-hmm. man, Marilyn got, Marilyn got treated like shit by Brian, Brian Wilson. Um, so I guess I have to wonder, like, how long do you think Brian Wilson would be able to handle hanging out with Tina? Oh, I think he would have <laughs> been Definitely. driven to psychedelics he, years earlier. I, 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 think he, I think he'd be fine. I think, I think he would just be like, hey, Tina, they, uh, I love Tina. She has a, she has a lot of fun. And She's she got a pep in her step. Come into the sandbox. <laughs> she knows um, how to be a cool surfer girl. <laughs> Um, okay so uh, so tina is uh rachel's best friend of the past uh 12 months and <laughs> lifelong best friends for 12 months well that was the big thing is that when i first saw and justin mentioned this too when we watched it that we both thought that, that maybe this was supposed to be Lindsay from part four who's looked very similar to her yeah. they look they look a lot and, alike and yeah. and then, but it's clearly not so we're like oh, okay well rachel's doing pretty great she's got a lot of friends in this town yeah why didn't they just make it Lindsay wallace I don't know. That is a great That would have been so point. smart. Just make it Lindsay Wallace. Yeah. She, and, and well, then, you know then, why, though, they didn't do that is because I think I think she would have genuinely been afraid of Michael and, and known just what a threat he was. You know what I mean? If she had yeah. had this experience And that's fine with kid. me. That's what well, you Well, yeah, need. that would have been interesting, but they wouldn't have been able to have this kind of like... Oblivious. They would have been able to have Tina. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I really was excited to see what they're going to do with those bags of potato chips and uh, the whole Carruthers house to themselves. My thing is with Tina and the teens, they seem so dissociated from like the other Rachel that we saw in Halloween four. Like I just, I can't imagine her hanging out with these fucking morons. I I can't either. And 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 these teens and we'll get into the teens later, but the teens are so it's, they're pulled right out of a Friday the 13th movie. They're like, they're Mm -hmm. like archetypes almost of like, Oh, we've got the blonde. We've got like the tall blonde guy. Then we've got like the cool greaser. It's just like, it is clearly like fodder for, you know, the Myers, for Myers, but it's just, it just doesn't work. And again, I think that's that's going back to trying to create this like horror, classic horror. Like we have, you know, all of these, you know, stereotypical uh, characters in it, I guess. But ugh. everybody's on 11 here and they need to be dialed down to like a seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? well, like, I, everybody's to, on one. Would you guys say at least with to Wendy Kaplan's credit that. You know, when she's getting chased by Myers and whatever else, like she does at least nail some of the genuine emotion with being scared and being yeah, like, I feel like she does that kind of well. And once again, I don't know whether to blame the script or the director or what, but that 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 is like an instance where I'm like, okay, her her kind of extreme acting pays off a little bit right there. I don't of know. Course. I mean, that's that's when you're about to die, you're at your most heightened, I guess. <laughs> well, all she does is literally just scream. 
I mean, there's no real like. I mean, that 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 whole tower farm sequence is just. I would love to actually see the screenplay for that because it's just nonstop screaming. Michael, Rachel, or no, not Rachel, <laughs> Jamie, <Yeah>. Tina. <laughs> Whatever the right before she dies. Pirate I, kid. Like, I mean, yeah. I just. Pirate kid. You know, <laughs> oh, Mikey man. or whatever. Here's like, another thing that I feel like mentioning. Why in God's name do any of these kids, especially Jamie, why are they so excited that it's Halloween? I know. We've got this huge barn party. <laughs> We've got Jamie really excited about having a costume for Halloween. This is not not what, how many years have gone by? A year. A year. Yeah. It's nuts. It is nuts Wait, to me. And that, it's not like it's that not... they are so excited, or that Halloween is even taking place in this town. Oh well, that's uh, yeah, exactly. Like it's nuts. Because think of it this way: the incidents that happen in Halloween Four are not the incidents that happen in Halloween Nineteen Seventy-Eight. Think about you, like, this: is you're coming off the events of of Halloween Four, where all these people die. Yeah. The entire police department exactly. is murdered. And a year later, they're celebrating Halloween. Now, they could have used it to their advantage and been like, okay, the, the teens are rebelling. They're going to have a yeah. Halloween party out in the barn. That would have made sense. But why the fuck is Jamie so excited about getting this princess costume and, and doing all this Halloween stuff? When How is that not just a complete reminder of her like trying yeah. to kill her mother and all this stuff? It's nuts. I'll <laughs> yeah. say real quick, can we, since we're on that, that party, can we just talk about uh, – I don't even know what I want to say about it, but like – after Tina's supposed boyfriend like abandons her, she starts dancing with that guy in like that weird wolf costume. No, it's like a rat. <laughs> and, he, right? and he breaks the fourth wall. And he breaks the fourth wall, looks at us. It's like the cheapest looking <laughs> rat costume. It's so disgusting. No, the whole sequence, no, it, it's like it looks like they're all partying at Frank's place from Blue Velvet. <laughs> Um, or not Frank's place, but uh, <laughs> Dean Stockwell's place yeah. in Blue Velvet, because there's like that, or the old woman that's just <laughs> yeah. sitting there for no the reason. Old woman sitting in the corner. You know what, it, uh, you know what it reminds me of is, is our, our good friend Chris Acevedo, who isn't on the podcast, but him and I in, in college were in Charlotte's Web, and he had to play Templeton the Rat. Yeah, like, yes. it, it does look like him. Play. It just. I don't know. <laughs> well, <laughs> Michael, leave her alone. What did she say, <laughs> what did she say to him? She's just like. She, he's just like, I dig your costume. And she's like, I dig yours. And there's just like dancing. It's, really, it's so oh. fucking weird. I don't know where. Like, I, where I, I, if someone can find that, that scene where he pops up and looks at the camera and starts looking yeah. around, maybe we mm. can make that gif, please. Well, that'd be a cool gif. There's uh, something straight up the thriller video where the zombies just look at the camera real quick. <laughs> <laughs> this yeah. rat kid. Well, maybe he was trying to take influence of that. Who knows with Dominique? It's a scrapbook of influences and in horror. Well, anything else about Tina? I really wanted to get to the character uh, Samantha. Can I get into her? Oh, yeah. Go for it. Well, Samantha's played by Tamara Glenn, and she wears a devil costume and is killed in the barn. Okay. Let's, um... <laughs> and she loves cats. And she loves cats. I'm telling you. Let's this... move on to our next section, which we like to call Buds and Bobs. Amazing Grace, come sit on my face. Don't make me cry. I need your pie. Look, why don't you just shut up? Would you say the guys are better than the gals in this movie? I think that's like, once again, saying, well, you know, World War One was actually better than World War II. <laughs> it's, it's a lose-lose. Alien so, versus Predator, whoever wins, we lose. Yeah, that's true. This one at least has... Uh, here's, let's just give a real quick rundown before we go into the specifics. We get, if we want to go through the Breakfast Club archetypes, mm. we get the asshole. Yeah. We Mikey. get the, the dork. Spits. We get the absolute psychopath. Billy. <laughs> 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 uh, 
Well, we uh, we get the the cowboy, um, and then we get the pirate. Wait, who's the cowboy? The cowboy is Ben Meeker. Oh, so the man black can be the cowboy. Too. Oh, that is true. So we get two cowboys Wait, actually. Isn't Spitz at one point dressed up like a cowboy? Am I making that up completely? Maybe we get three cowboys in this movie. I don't think he is. I think Before he's supposed to be like a Zorro fires. type character. I don't remember. His he's a moron. So he sucks. He sucks Are we also. starting from the top? Let's start, Let's start from the top. top. Which we okay. have to talk about Loomis. Here's my question about this movie. And again, you know, we're picking nits here. Why is he so sure that Jamie has a psychic connection to Michael Myers all mm-hmm. of a sudden? A year later. Well, he saw that she changed for the worse in part four. But I think Loomis is still operating on a script that wasn't used for Halloween. <laughs> yeah, five. no joke. Yeah. Let me also throw this out there. If Loomis is trying to find Mike on Blues is still out there, wouldn't the first thing you did was go down to where that well lets out and go to the stream and follow it about less than a mile and yeah. it's not like he moved or was hiding like he was in that shack for a year you didn't you couldn't comb that area it would have been cool <laughs> if like, like the movie opens like very moody like halloween four and you see like fog rolling over the hills and you see the stream going through the rocks and everything and you see this paddle whoosh, whoosh, and it's like a grizzly loomis and he's just going up and down the the Haddonfield River. Still going. Like, yeah, just like looking there, going like, Michael! And Ben Meeker's on the side with a pipe. He's like, still didn't find him. Like, you, you know, humoring him. Any and, luck. And he's like, I still haven't seen him. He's out here! And then they, you know, they go get breakfast and they talk. And it's like a very slow, meditative thing. Then that answers your question. You, you would have looked for him all this time. For being someone that, I guess, didn't really want to be doing these movies anymore. Or this was going to be his last mo- Michael movie. Who? Right? Donald Pleasant? No, yeah. he, no he, he said he would have done these forever. He was like, I'll do oh, this really? uh, Halloween 21. Well, then, um, I, think he's did... still, I think he's still giving it his all here. I, oh, just, think this, I just think that he's become so unlikable in this movie. You're well, not really, you're like, hey, stay away from her. Stop it. Yeah. Exactly. Stop. It's really strange stuff going on. You have this man practically physically accosting this little girl in, <laughs> in the hospital, and there's nurses and people around, and they're allowing him. Who is this to her? It's not her doctor, no. you know. It's he just this, it's this random guy who's obsessed with this serial killer that is still sticking around and like menacing this girl. And and like, why why are they even letting him in the room? Like, it doesn't make sense. The way that he is acting with her is just is genuinely scaring her constantly. It's like <laughs> it's, it's so out of character for him in that sense. I mean, it's, it it really ha- does feel like he's kind of lost his mind. And I guess if they were doing that, that's fine. But then they they. Don't. No. So it's just like, I, I don't know. It's really weird. Yeah. It, it's, and he it's is a, giving his all on this. He does. I mean, so does all. Jamie. So those scenes work in a weird way, but it's just crazy. He's, I love Crazy Loomis. And he's the he's only, the he's imitate. probably the best part of this movie, I would say, just because he's so out there. At this point, he's just super a, heightened. He's still, I think he's the only link in this movie to the actual like carpenter design. Like he still feels like a carpenter character in this movie. You know, he's like the weird veteran who has the that stony constitution where he knows that he's right. I, I, it's not that I'm with him because I'm not. I don't think I'm with any character in this movie, no, per se. I'm not yeah. um, maybe Charlie. But I would Charlie. say, like, other than the, the fact that he does get to beat the shit out of Myers mm-hmm. at the end of this movie... Again, just like four, he's kind of useless in a way. Like he kind of well, just floats well, I around. Was, I think he was supposed to. Loomis was supposed to actually die in that scene. I think. I, I think like when he um, collapses on top on top of Myers, 
he's supposed to have had like a heart attack there, and that's yeah. why you don't see him in the in the final scene. And then they brought him back for for six, obviously. It's just yeah. so. It was in the script yeah. or not? It's like Scott Summers in X Men: Last Stand. We're like, is he dead? Is Cyclops <laughs> yeah. dead? And then the credits roll. You're like, oh, I guess he did die there. Maybe they just left him in the basement when they went back to the police station. <laughs> I guess it was in the living room. Wasn't the death in the living room? Uh, or was it in the basement? I can't remember. I think it's in the basement. It doesn't matter. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah. All right. I think we've pretty much talked about Loomis enough. I don't know. Do you have any more? Well, the second best male character is in about three minutes of this movie. And that is, of course, Bo Starr as Sheriff Ben Meeker. Love um, Star. Wasted. Well, again, I don't know. There's no way he had to go off and do some other movie. Let's be honest. There's no way that Bo Starr had to go do something else. I don't understand why he's only in, what, three scenes of this movie? Maybe three scenes? Well, he was in Relentless that year. Hey, with and, Leo well, actually, to be fair... He was uh, man number two in Arthur's Bar of Born on the Fourth of July. Well, that is very fair. Mm-hmm. You're being very. Yeah, that's fair. a big Hollywood movie. Hollywood yeah, stuff. but he was also in Relentless, which was uh, William Lustig, Judd Nelson, Robert Loggia, Leo Rossi. Leo Rossi is in that He's too. He's a cop. Yeah. So that you know, that's a big movie too. You know, not really big, but it was written I by was, Phil uh, Alden Robinson, Oscar winner. I was trying to find. I, I looked all morning for it. I, I think it's on that big Blu-ray box set that you guys have on. Uh, one of the documentaries or the behind the scenes thing there's a there's a clip of Bostar that used to actually introduce the VHS of Halloween My, 5 Dan I have searched for this high and low I have still oh, man, not dude. seen this I, I I sent it I sent it to Randall I remember years ago I felt because I was telling him about it but it, I, I, I'm probably paraphrasing but he says something to the camera like like this is Sheriff Meeker and uh, this is Halloween 5 and I've got to get this guy or else he's going to kill everyone or oh, something. God, I've like, got to see this. It's, I, I think it's got to be on some of that supplemental material on that, um, that big Halloween box set. If, it, if, if any, uh, if any Huskers out there know what I'm talking about, please share. I've looked everywhere for it. I'm, no. I'll, as soon as I find it, we'll, we'll share it. No, we, we joke right now, but I know exactly why he's in little of this movie. He was in Goodfellas the next year. He's Henry's father. I mean, he was in Goodfellas. Oh yeah. He was in Born on the 4th of yeah, July. Right. He was in Relentless. Right. Like oh, he was absolutely busy. Okay, because Mike's his brother, Mike stars in the Goodfellas. Also, he plays Frenchie, the guy I was just. Well, talking you know about. what? I, I take mean, it back. Then you know, just don't even have him. Don't, don't tease me with the Meeker character. Don't even have him in the movie. I didn't I mean, know he you, played Henry's that. Do, do you think Mark, Martin Scorsese is like get get me the Star Brothers for my movie? Like, do you, be, that, that's really funny that they're both. No, in. I mean he's he's in a lot of movies like before Halloween Four. He was in Fletch. He's in City Heat. Oh, no, he's Heat. been around. He's, he's an established he's, character yeah. actor throughout the series. He was in Summer 80s. School. Yeah. Anyway, I, mean, I missed him in this. That's all I'm saying. I did too. There's I not absolutely. A lot to say. And, and I guess he. I'm assuming he dies at the very end in the big shootout. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming there's he's a dead. there's a deleted scene, or I, I, don't, I don't. The scene itself isn't available, but you can find a still image of him getting shot in the uh, in that final shootout, uh, which okay. is weird that they don't show it because, like, why wouldn't they? You know, I mean. I'm, in a way, I'm glad they don't show because I don't like. The, uh, he's like one of my favorite characters. I, I'm I glad they see him die. But the picture is pretty. Uh, it's pretty bloody. Let me. I'll find it for you guys and, and send it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, no, I was just. I, I love Meeker. I wish he was in more of it, but it makes sense that he's not in it if he was doing all that stuff for sure. I mean, there are, there are opportunities where you could easily, you know, wedge him in here. But hey, when you got those clown cops, you, you know, oh yeah. Speaking take of the, speaking of the clown cops, uh, I forgot to mention this that the uh, the taller clown cop was also in Batman. Who's the newscaster um, that uh, stands by while the woman gets sick with the Joker sickness? And, oh, is that so? Yeah, I'm sending Dan a picture of this now, and you guys as well. And we can post that. But and I'm, uh, I'm sending you Meeker's death. So uh, yeah, we're, we're gonna swap <laughs> pictures all all day long. Even though we can definitively prove this on IMDb, 
Uh, we're going to go with it and, and say that uh, in the same year that he played a clown cop, he also uh, played the uh, the rundown newscaster in Gotham I'm City. You, they look, I just sent you this picture. It looks, it looks just like him. He does look a lot like him. That guy mugs the screen. Basically Boy. acts like Adam West, speaking of Batman. Uh, <laughs> and to go back to Star for a second, because I'm running with that joke into the ground. But when we do see Bio, he's leading. I, we mentioned Miami Vice before, but this is like a Vice squad. He is so ready for Myers this time around that it's, it is staggering to know that they do lose at the end of this movie. Because he's, he's got the whole fucking troop with him at the Myers house. He's ready to go. Uh, they got all the, the the armed guards, the militia. Well, there's also, no joke, there's a deleted scene um, of those cops being killed outside the children's hospital that, mm. that was not included in the final cut. Well, this is originally X-rated. So. Oh, really? It was too mm-hmm. violent? Yeah, it was <laughs> wow. too... It, no, I'm not even joking. It was it was too violent. And they cut back because it was just, you know, too gory. So I kind of almost wish we could see the X-rated version to see what it would be like. Yeah, the producer's cut of H5. Yeah. There's probably a sex scene between Mikey and Tina. <laughs> well, hey, this is the first the first Halloween movie to have full frontal nudity, which we didn't really mention it too much. And I guess we could with Spitz, but Justin, you mentioned like the sex scene is just a little too Red Shoe Diaries. There, it's I think I timed. I think it's four minutes long, and yeah. there's no music. Yeah, it's it's like almost supposed to be erotic in a way. It's very strange. It's like lit like something out of the room. I mean, mm-hmm. or yeah, Red Shoe Diaries would be the perfect example. Something late. But I love how also in the documentary how they talk about like rehearsing that scene with the director and like making sure it was like really like they spent a lot of time on it. <laughs> it's so weird. It's director, I don't know. This guy's, know. This guy's crazy. Uh, you know what? I don't know him. Uh, didn't make a very good movie. <laughs> uh, All right, so Ben Meeker. Ben We're Maker. still on Ben Meeker. He doesn't have a daughter anymore. Yeah, which is reference, to be fair. Yeah. Don't you wish that we would have gotten a little bit more of, like, where his current present state is, you know, or what his current present state is? He was too busy off dealing with Henry Hill acting like a jerk (laughs) and and Goodfellas. I I would have liked to imagine him living off in some, like, um, new apartment or something like that and him and his wife. I I think you're... I, I didn't need any of this. You don't need any of that? I mean, no. I mean, like, I think you're a little obsessed with Meeker. <laughs> I like Meeker. I like Meeker. Yeah, but we don't need to. I mean, I, I we would have been great, but we already established you couldn't do it because he's in the movie. In the re- like, we're going to go to like, well, the, the Meeker backstory now. Like, here's the thing about Meeker. Side character. We didn't get a lot of them, but don't worry because we got great characters like Billy. Oh, oh man. Played by a young <laughs> Jeffrey Lamb. And now, Billy is um, another. <laughs> I almost said inmate of the children's clinic. <laughs> <laughs> what no, do you think he did um, to get that's there? That's what it feels like, though, he doesn't is, it? It feels like, yeah, they're like... Because they're the held there against but, their will, um, yeah. No, he's another young boy who who was friends with Jamie at the at the children's clinic. Stuttering And Bill. he has a stuttering issue. Uh, he's a pirate for Halloween. We're big fans of pirates. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... He is a good example of what could have really gone wrong. I, I hate criticizing children. But at the same time, he's our age now, so it's okay to look back, right? Can we mm-hmm. do that now? Yeah, okay. yeah of course. Yeah. I think it's an Jeffrey example Landman. of what if Daniel Harris was a really, really like poor child actor? Mm-hmm. This is it. Then Halloween 4 would not have worked at all. Mm-mm. And then Halloween 5 really, 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 really wouldn't have worked. This is an example of that. And I just think that... Um, you know the performance is what it is, and the role is what it is. I don't know what else I can say about it. It's, it's I mean, not I, too good. I don't, like I don't know, he, I'll put it this way: when he gets run over by, well, when he gets clipped by Michael Myers, I'm not thinking, "Oh my god!" I'm thinking, "Oh good, it's know? time." I mean, it's, like, it's time. That's my that's where I, my morbid mind goes for that sequence. 
I think he does fine for what he's given. I no, don't know. Fuck for you, being, Dan. For being, no, 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 come on. For being, for, for being uh, Jamie's um, mentally disabled pirate friend, like, I don't know what else I want out of that. Well, that's, that role. I feel like that's the <laughs> ongoing thread for this entire movie. It's like everybody's doing as good as they can do with what they've been given. You know, it's true. Yeah, I think it really yeah. does fall back. This is one of those things you can absolutely just blame on the producers, the writers, and the director. The funniest. I, because even Mac was saying earlier about Tina, like, is this a, is this a Wendy Kaplan decision, or is this just a director encouraging her to go over the top and go wild and go wacky with it? I, I kind of wish that we would have had a scene where Jamie opens the laundry chute and Billy's head is is right there, and that would have been very jarring and very Dark. frightening and very fitting for the character because he's fucking annoying. But we haven't yeah. killed children in these films. No, at all. never. Michael you never. Do Michael that. never. Only dogs that. several times. I mean, technically, uh, they're all children. They're under 18, right? I mean, all, all the teenagers are children. Uh, I think they were carded. I think they're... <laughs> which is funny because Michael's, like, going after Jamie the whole time, which is... I think that's also one of the jarring things, and, and one of the things I kind of liked about 4 and 5 is that he's going after, like, this kid. Mm-hmm. You know, like a yeah. real, a real terror girl, there, I agree. You know, that is a real terror, and that's why those scenes work, uh, especially that laundry shoot scene. Is Well, like, she originally was... I think uh, there's a you know you see her leg bleeding when she gets out of it and because that be, too they were supposed to stab her on the le- in the right, leg right. and a and cat you see was the like, oh, when too she's hard. climbing out of it yeah too much but we'll leave the the wound there uh, but yeah I know um, Billy frustrating as he as he is um, glad to see him not return for Halloween six or any of the other sequels and that he's just somewhere out there in Haddonfield. Uh, Maybe dressed as a pirate, having a cup of coffee and annoying someone at a gas station or something like that. And it's like, go back to wherever you're supposed to go. You mentioned gas stations. uh, You go ahead, Dan. Sorry. What if, what if instead of Tommy Doyle as the protagonist of Six is Billy? He's got obsessed with him. He's on the the radio. We'll make those jokes. He looks a lot like him. He does kind of look like him. Maybe, Um, you know. Speaking of annoying male characters in Halloween 5, where do we begin? Where do we continue? Spitz. By uh, Matthew Walker, this guy. You know, it's funny when thinking about it. The kids, as heightened and silly and crazy as they are, I think that they do that really well in the sense of, you know, like when we see, you know, Annie and, uh, you know, the the girls in the first one interacting with their boyfriends and they're kind of nuts. But the, the difference is we had that establishing walk with the girls where we realize yeah. these are human beings. Well, it's characterizations in those movies. Yes, and then we see them being silly. They're not silly the like right out the gate, you know? Like so it, it, like we don't care about these these characters at all. I think no. Linda and Annie are more, much more into just kind of smoking pot and having fun. These kids seem like they're on uppers. <laughs> hey, it's the 80s, it's a different baby. time. Yeah, they're on they're Coke, on like, cocaine. Let's let's go. Let's they rock listen, and roll. They listen to I mean, psychedelic furs and uh, Thompson man, twins it, and having it's fun. It's tough. But anyway, so Spitz is Samantha's boyfriend. We touched upon her earlier, briefly. <laughs> like five seconds after. And he's equally disposable and not worth mentioning, really. I mean, no. he also gets killed in the barn. He gets a uh, what well, a pitchfork, pitchfork to the yeah, chest, right? Pitchfork. Which is while he's having sex. Why he's losing? While they're both losing their virginity, right? No, oh, it's very emotional. Which you said is a ripoff of uh, Friday the Thirteenth. Um, well, you know, this movie is pretty much just a Friday the Thirteenth movie. Yeah, at the end of the well, day, I, these are. I feel no, like well, you could probably barn. make the case that every one of these deaths was probably in some Friday Thirteenth film at some point. Do you think well, Jason's somewhere in the back, somewhere like still on the the spikes? I feel like it's like a, it's like a Freddy versus Jason situation, but flipped where where Jason's about to do all these cool kills, and he sees Michael doing it, and he's like, "Oh, 
I just missed. Yeah. Just missed. Yeah. All the so, barn sequences is straight from like Friday the Part Three. That's what mm-hmm. it feels like. Yeah. You know? yeah All of that barn stuff. The barn kills. So, something that uh, some, the actress who played Samantha did say in the documentary that she, I think she originally was just supposed to get killed with Spitz, and she she was like, oh, I wanted to fight back a little bit, which is why she like goes after Michael with a pitchfork, and then she just gets like sliced by that. Uh, what do we do? Like a sickle. A sickle. Yeah. Skiff or whatever. You know what the problem is? Like, like you guys are saying, the very first moment we see Annie and Linda, they're just chatting, right? There's no, like, yeah. I think every... Si- All right, so, like, when you first meet Tina, she's, like, banging on the window with a dog. When you first meet Mikey, he's pull- <laughs> he pulls up and, like, screeches to so, a hollow in his mus- muscle car and says, what? And he's, like, fucking Paul Rudd in Wet in American Summer or something. <laughs> yes, and he really is. He really is. And the, the first time you see... Uh, I keep forgetting, what's the girl's name? Spitz's girlfriend? Uh... Samantha. Uh, Samantha. Yeah. The yeah. first time you see her, she screams and scares uh, Tina. The first time you meet Spitz, he comes go- doing this goofy dance out of like a liquor store. So like every one of them, th- there's like no chance to recover from that. Like you get like how do you, yeah, how do you like ground crazy. those characters at that point? You, you get you know, like it's... you get. They're all like the ninth or tenth characters in Days and Confused. Yeah. You know, like they're supposed to do like little yeah. funny visual gags, and you're like, oh, that's funny. At least there's some crazy kids in this uh, town in uh, Texas. But you know at least we have you know the other main guys. Uh, no, it's funny is I remember the Halloween 25 Years of Terror documentary, and this is before he made his own Halloween movies, but I remember Rob Zombie talking about Halloween 5, and he's like, oh, the characters are so annoying, which he's right, but I'm like, wow, that, that's rich coming from you. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? Well, I, I feel bad that we're spending so much time with Spitz when I just totally washed over Samantha. I don't want to be accused of anything. Do we have anything you want to say about Samantha that we haven't said already? She looks a little bit like Kirsten Dunst, so I always uh, thought that she was kind of cute. She likes cats. And she likes cats, which we mentioned, but they I guess she's say... got a little bit more of a characterization than, than Spitz, because Spitz I, is just annoying, I, and Samantha likes cats. Like, so, Of the four of them, I think Samantha probably gives the most grounded performance. Yeah, but, I agree. But, I mean, but, you know, they're, none of them are... Uh, None of them well, are anything to write home you about. You set up the four of them, and we've definitely talked <laughs> yeah. about three of them. Who's the fourth one? Ooh. All right, let's let, let me let me let me do this guy. <laughs> All right, I, I have hinted at him for a very long time. I this is a character I hate more than anything. Jonathan Chapman's Mikey. He mm. is so fucking atrocious as an archetype, as a character, everything. Dominic basically looked at Rebel Without a Cause or, you know, or with any of those like James Dean movies and then maybe watched a lot of Happy Days, like I mentioned with the, the cops and all before. And it was just like, we got to do a Fonz character. We need to bring the Fonz in here. Like the Fonz with no charisma. Yeah, with no charisma and just like a bug up his ass the entire time. There is no redeemable qualities to this character. You know he's going to die. You know it's probably going to be in a bad way. Why is Tina with this guy? Uh, you know, like, what is hey, Tina you know what? <laughs> There's a lot of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is, Maybe this he actually be... is more realistic than I think yeah, he is. But the, the, just the, so I grew up loving Arthur Fonza Rally. In fact, my AOL screen <laughs> name was just Fonzie. F-O-N-Z-I-E. So obsessed with him. In fact, my office here in the studio has a doll uh, that Mattel made of uh, Fonzie that I drove thirty uh, something miles to find Are with you, my aunt. This is like writing another horror story. I love <laughs> I love Fonzie. So when I saw this movie, and I saw this character, I almost thought it was like them making a joke about Fonzie, and I was like, "Fuck you." Fonzie's a great character, one of the greatest characters in television history, yeah. and you are doing a disservice to Henry Winkler and his iconography by giving Mikey any role in Haddonfield. Get him out of here. Roll him out. Just have Myers like hotwire a car instead. I don't need this guy. I hate him. He's my least favorite character in all of the the, the Halloween uh, movies. 
and that says wow. something. Yeah, That's, I can't um, stand him. Well, he gets he gets uh, he gets what's coming to him. Kind of. What do you mean he gets gets like a he gets like garden a, a gartering right thing to his right face? I guess it's a pretty good it's a pretty good it's death. death. Uh, it could have yeah. gone worse. I think I like Pamela Susan Shoop gets arguably the worst death, oh, and her character is great. Death. I love Karen. She's a very nice person. Wonderful Midwestern girl. I want to talk about September girl. And she gets the most horrific death. This guy gets a gardening thing. to No, this guy should have... Uh, I, whatever. I'm, I'm, I digress. Once again, when you look at Halloween 4, for example, for God's sakes, when you have Kelly Meeker and Brady who are you know, cheating on Rachel, right? He's cheating on Rachel with, with, um, with Kelly. But we're still disturbed by what happens to Kelly and by what happens to Brady. Mm-hmm. Like there's still some type of a realism yeah. there where we feel like, oh my God, something bad's about to happen. Oh my God, oh my God. But with Mikey, who cares? Nobody cares. Who cares about Spitz? Who cares about Samantha? Who no. ca- I don't care about these characters Wait, at all. Quick question about, yeah. about Mikey. Did they name him Michael just so that could add some weird weight to the scene where Michael Myers around. is pretending to be him? Like like Michael Myers is getting off on being called Mikey. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like po- why, why possible. Him Mikey? Kind of weird. It's always weirding me out a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, it's possible. But speaking of that driving around, there's something else that there really is no section for. The car mm-hmm. that they're driving around, oh, Mikey's car. Don Shanks always felt that there was a weird presence in that car, and Wendy Kaplan, who plays Tina, felt the very felt the same way. It turns out, I think a couple years earlier, somebody was murdered in that car. That's creepy. I, yeah. So if you believe in ghosts. Congratulations. Well, I think it was. It wasn't it? Wasn't a girl, a, someone's daughter, committed suicide yeah, or something in the car? Yeah, something. Like that. Yeah, something like that. How do you think they killed? Do you wait, think it was like the hose? In real life? Yeah, in real life. In real life. Yeah. It's kind of cool. If you think that's creepy, check out our special episode. Not so special because it's part of his canon. Christine, we recorded it a few months ago, and uh, it's part of the Losers Club, <laughs> and you can find it on the Consequence Podcast Network. Also, make sure to check out the Losers Club. Stephen King podcast uh, just a couple weeks ago. We did our first episode on Skeleton Crew, Uncle Otto's Truck. <laughs> a truck that also has a malevolent force behind it. Anyway, moving on with Halloween 5, though. Anything else to say about our good friend Mikey? Except for his, his uh, untimely yet uh, welcome death. That was good to you. I, I do, I do. Oh, okay. When he dies, we see him. We Then they show him like cleaning up the mess they show him like oh, dragging, dragging mikey off. off and you're like this is not scary watching him do all <laughs> it's like it's like we were talking about like seeing him do all the setup stuff for these scares it's just like, yeah, the way, it's like no the, it's not well, scary you see, his, uh, you see his like feet shuffle like he's struggling a yeah bit. he's struggling with the weight stuff. of this little kid like <laughs> yeah, we're a long way away from seeing him carrying annie in front of the house which is eerie. Yeah. so this scary scary at all I, I gotta say uh mikey's got a cool car do you think uh michael when he got behind the wheel, maybe took it out for a spin uh, on the, well, the back kept, roads of Haddonfield. I kept, I kept joking that the mask looks like the mask from Drive. Yeah, he does. So, so I was like, oh, he's behind the car. He's behind the wheel. I was like, I was like, oh, maybe he's Ryan Gosling under that mask. Maybe maybe there's like a subplot <laughs> where like he starts becoming a driver for some like the the, the real bad boys. Well, if you watch the credits of this movie, Don Shanks is not credited as the shape. He's credited as the driver. So <laughs> uh, we got we got one more guy. There's one more guy. Well, there's there's two more guys. Yeah, but we could skip over those. No, no, we have to talk about both. All right. All right well, right. first of all, we have to talk about Charlie. 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 <laughs> I love Charlie. What's the uh, name of the actor? Actually, I didn't know. Troy Evans. Troy, Troy Evans from uh, Ace Ventura: Pet Detective. Uh, he's from a lot. A lot of things. Yep. He's in Teen uh, Wolf. He's in Near Dark. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Martians Go Home. Men at Work. One of my favorite 80, uh, 90s, 80s movies. Weird era. My Blue Heaven. 
and, which is another link to Henry's own. Uh, Steve Martin. Yeah. Uh, bringing it back to King, he's on Bosch. Is he, on, he is on Bosch, yeah. He plays, he's on Bosch, uh, he plays the detective on Bosch. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's been he's been forty nine for about thirty years. And he's, yeah, yeah. He's uh he's and he's the cop in the stand. He's the sheriff in the stand. Yes, he he's he's in the he's he's the principal yeah. in Twin Peaks. Yeah, you're I, right. He's I, the one that gives the announcement. The announcement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good and there's another one who's only in this movie for a few minutes, and I feel like uh, takes all these teens to acting school <laughs> just in his little. Yeah. Why don't we just have him earlier on? I mean, there's yeah, so many really questions about this. Again, this is what this is what happens when you got a rush production when you just have to jump in here and then you can't. Uh, it's a mess anyway. But I love I do love, love that scene where he's trying to protect Jamie and then Loomis's other plans about them leaving and, and gives the whole Charlie, Charlie, Charlie. According to his Wikipedia, he doesn't have uh, Ace Ventura listed under his selected filmography. I think it was much like Don Cheadle went uncredited for Ocean's Eleven. Troy Evans uh, also went uncredited for yeah. Ace Ventura Pet for Roger Predactor. He gets thrown, out, gets thrown out. Gets thrown out the yeah, window. He, d- he dies in a similar manner, <laughs> he, right? Because he gets thrown out. The yeah, window. he gets he thrown out the window. But hung. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I love Roger Pitt actor. He turned seventy uh, years old this year. Just, uh, yeah. you know, seventy. Oh wow. What? What? And you do you? I don't know. You do get to see the. Oh, way I'm sorry. Act. I'm sorry. He was forty-one in this. Yeah, he looks old. He looks. I guess I look better than I think I do at this point. He's only a couple years older than me. <laughs> um, no offense, Troy Evans. You're still kicking it. There's one more character we do have to talk about. The Man in Black. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The Man in Black. The, Played by Don again, Shanks. Double, oh, Don double Shanks. duty. Sometimes, Double yeah. duty. They probably, because why not? You don't have any time to hire an actual performer to do this. You're just going to do this on the fly. So, yeah, the Man in Black is introduced in this film. It's this ominous presence who's got the steel-toed cowboy boots. <laughs> he shows up halfway through the movie getting off a bus. He scares a dog, I think, or a child. He scares a dog. Him. I don't remember. Reminds me very much of the well, Tommy Boy sequence in Robolo gets off of the, the bus. When but... he gets off the bus, he's in front of Vincent's drugstore. Yes. Right? Which I thought was kind of cool. That yeah. is pretty cool. And, you know, I um, I like the Man in Black. Oh, God. If we're yeah. talking about the Man in Black, I know it's 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 a crazy character to bring in, but I personally, and, and I think it's because when I was really getting into Halloween, it's it was right around the time that Halloween Six was coming out. I think I mean we had seen the the first couple, but I think that I really got into the lore of Halloween because of Six. Made me go back and really really get into this stuff. I I didn't understand what was going on, but I, I think I think they used that character in, in a scary way, in a creepy way. You're like, what's going on? I don't think it didn't feel out of place. I just, I wondered where it was going to go. There's something very important. I, I forgot to mention at the top is I actually saw Halloween five before I saw Halloween four. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that, I, I should have mentioned that earlier on, but cause that reminds me of this whole thing. You watch this movie, the man black shows up. It's even, even watching it the first time though, I feel like they didn't have any idea what the man in black was going to be, especially by the time Curse of Michael Myers came out and they were trying to really connect the man in black to this symbol that was all of a sudden on his wrist and everything else. I, uh, I was never a fan of the Man in Black. I it, obviously supposed to be this ominous, mysterious character, but it never played well for me. Then they kind of <laughs> redeem it in the sixth one, I guess. As much as you can redeem it, so part six is basically just let's clean up the mess from part mm-hmm. five, and then try to add something to it. That's really all part six is: is yeah. clean up. That's why I love uh, Daniel Farrens, and I'm really excited to try to get him on this podcast. Yeah, I'd love to I talk to him. The cleanup job that he has to do after this movie, and just by introducing the Man in Black, is is astounding. It's, it's a testament to that movie. Mm-hmm. As much as it's a mess in itself, but it, it's unquestionably better than the fifth one. It's somehow, somehow. my favorite of the three of this trilogy at yeah. this point because oh, wow. it's be, we'll, because we'll I just think then. it's. 
It, yeah, just because I well, we'll get into that for yeah. part six. But for the Man in Black, for me, is it just seems so. It, 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 that's when they really do just you know they're standing at the edge of the cliff, right? And they're like, "Are we going to jump?" And the Man in Black walks off that bus, and the franchise just yeah jumps. Hey, we're going to do this, so yeah, a machine gun, a machine gun. No, it's a isn't it, isn't it a rifle? No, no, he's got a, he's got or like shot an AK forty seven or something. Really, like that. I don't think you really see it. You just see like a little burst of flame, right? You don't like see what kind of you hear the rat that's at tat. Yeah, it's a machine like AK forty seven. It's fucking that. insane that he well, it's just. Nuts. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, okay, now, go back to the beginning again, <laughs> and we're gonna do this a lot over the next couple of entries here. Just go back to the beginning. It was about a young man <laughs> in a, an insane asylum who escapes and goes back to his small town. And stocks babysitters on Halloween night. An urban legend, a tale that you would share at the lunchroom, and it is now involving a cowboy with a machine gun <laughs> who takes out an entire police force and blows up with plastique or what, I don't even know, and gets him out as if they're in like true lies or something, or the Terminator. <laughs> like what the fuck? Right, let me just clarify. Uh, I didn't realize we were going to talk about the end of the movie right here. I, I don't like the end of this movie. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I didn't. I don't mind the Man in Black as a character introducing him because I felt like it was going to go somewhere, and I also didn't really mind it in six. But we'll get to that. I don't, I don't like the weird, dumb cliffhanger, and I never liked it, no. especially in series, especially when six hadn't even come out yet. And we, I remember watching five, and then we were like, "This is how it ends," because we didn't know that there was going to be another one at the time. No, and that it was just such a, what are we doing here? Well, at, at what point was it? I know we talked about this a little bit already, but with the Men in Black, did they, they just. The screenwriters were just like, oh, we're just not going to figure any of this out. No, the all. screenwriters like, had nothing to do with yeah, it. No. They had already started production. Halfway through production, <laughs> Dominique Othenic-Gerard decided to put this in the movie. Yeah. And he said, and we'll Don, figure it out. He, he said, Don we'll Don figure Shanks, it out in the future. We'll figure it out. With Don Shanks playing him, do you think at a point people were like, oh, maybe Michael Myers is pulling double duty? Like, maybe he was supposed no, to? No way. He said, I, I don't think that was ever supposed to be the he, case. Yeah, I, he just, just said that he's... He, Stood in as the Man in Black every once in a while, and I yeah. had no clue how this was going to fit into the series at all. Except so you know they gave him the same tattoo. You know they took a swing and they and they missed. You know, what can I say? Yeah, I yeah. mean it's any <laughs> any other guys, any other buds or bobs to talk about? That I, nothing I can think of, right? No, I no. I mean, so. or let's let if we're on oh, here, the deputies, which we've talked about, we've talked about. They don't deserve any more of my time. Enough. No, yeah. no. I, I will say, all right, so you're Dominic, and you're taking the reins in this, and you're going to introduce this man in black. Where are you taking this? Uh, do, you, do you have Robert Fallon, who played uh, Dr. Wynn in the original one on the phone, and you're like, look, we're going to bring you back. We're bringing back Wynn for the sixth one. Or are you going to take it into a very weird, even crazier direction where the two of them go road tripping or some shit like that? Like, wh- I, Where are you going to take this? We'll talk about that in... The next episode, but, but you just said it's very similar to a pitch that was made about the sixth movie. Oh my god! Well, I, I just yeah. but for me, like, where? What would be your reasoning for man, in, the Man in Black? At the, in, oh, in had five, I not known five. about if six, I, and that, I'm that just plot? trying to add some mystery to this movie because the mystery's gone at this point. Michael mm-hmm. Myers is trying to kill his niece. That's that's my think. That's my feeling on it. Let me add some weird element here, mm-hmm. and then I, I pitch that to the producer to say, sure. 
Do you know where this is going? No? That's okay. We'll deal with it later on. I feel like that's probably the conversation. Oh, I'm had, sure it was. You know? But in the back of your head, you got to have some sort of idea. I wonder if having it be Lori ever came up. You know, like she faked her death and she, I, I don't, I don't know why, why she would be killing people and or why she'd be breaking him stuff. out of jail. <laughs> maybe, maybe to like to like torture him privately or something. Who knows? <laughs> what if it was Irwin Yablins uh, coming back <laughs> <laughs> to get his due? <laughs> yeah. Or I think John Ir- Irwin Yablins' son is in Halloween too. It is true. He's yeah. with the boombox. Yeah. Uh, okay, really? Did I t- I talk, we we probably talked about this. The Rick Rosenthal that produced "Won't You Be My Neighbor" is the Rick Rosenthal, right? From it is. And Nancy Stevens' his wife, who plays um, Marion, is the pr- co-producer in that movie. Hey, good on them. It was yeah. great. Yeah. Great movie. Well, I think I've had enough. Uh, I, I, my head hurts from all the buds, mm. and um, I'm done. Do- I'm done talking about Bob. So, where do you think we go from here? I don't know. I mean, there's three kids and. Uh, one of them was Andy. Oh, Paul. Oh, Paul. I can no longer stop. Really, Paul. My Paul. Oh, yeah. For this section, we're going to talk about what we feel is the most shocking death. And I'm assuming all we four all of have. us will agree on this. This will be pretty Absolutely. quick. Absolutely. It's Rachel. Absolutely. Yeah. Rachel Carruthers. Yeah. yeah. It is definitely. Uh, for me, it's Tina. But... And ultimately, <laughs> not happy about it. No. Yeah. Mac? Yeah. No, it's definitely Rachel. I mean, I, we didn't, I didn't see that coming. And, and you love her in four, so you don't want her to die. And is absolutely the most shocking death, easily. That had been weird for you, though, if you'd never seen four. That's a very good point, yeah. You know? Because, I mean, think about it. I, I see part five first, <laughs> and which which begins with the ending of part four, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, I just thought, oh, this is... Because, you know, you're given, you're, you're given the backstory by the friends that seen it. So you're kind of, oh, okay, this is, she's cool. You know, she's supposed to be really cool. She lived, and she beats Michael. And, and then she's unceremoniously dumped off. And even then, even though I hadn't seen part four yet, I thought, well, what's the... So she lived through part four for this easy exit. And then watching part four is even more frustrating because I thought she was so good in part four. Yeah. I mean, these are the memories of a, of a young teen, but I remember being put off by her early exit. And then I'm rambling. Waste of time. Dan, what do you think about Rachel? I'm assuming um, that's your most shocking death. I mean, I think I'm, my most shocking death is the death of the franchise. Uh, with this <laughs> no, I'm no, no, I'm no, I'm kidding. I, I, I like sound, sound like me. I know, as I said, I like the movie better than all you guys, I think. But no, it's Rachel, for sure. I mean, it's, it's, it's shocking just the nature it happens, like I said, the disposability of it. But also because it's it's a legitimately terrifying death to me, which we'll get to later. But yeah, it's Rachel, for sure. All right, well. Not three. Not two. But one good scare. Oh, the boogeyman's outside. Look. This is going to be our favorite moment from the film. So mm-hmm. dig deep. We got a long list of great moments in this movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let me tell you. So, Dan, we'll, we'll go reverse order. Dan, you go first. What's your <laughs> yeah, favorite it's gotta moment? Yeah, it's got to be that Rachel that mm-hmm. Rachel death. I think there are – I actually think there are a few really good sequences in this movie. I think that Michael Myers chasing them in the car is, is really terrifying. When Loomis is uh, shouting at him in the woods, the, the laundry shoot scene, I actually think those are all legitimately scary, which in a weird way – I'm not going to say this is a better movie than 4, but I think as a kid, that's why I liked it better, just because it flat out scared me more. But um, yeah, Rachel's death to me, 
it's in broad daylight. It's in the house. There's a false sense of security. It really just reminds me of Halloween one a lot. And, uh, I, that the the way Michael uh, comes out of the closet where he like reaches the hand toward her and he has to do this weird kind of ducking movement to get out of the closet that always creeps me out and hey that's that uh, kudos to Don Shanks for that because uh, I know I criticized his shambling a little bit but that that to me makes up for it so yeah that's that scene still scares the crap out of me All every right. time. Mike, favorite moment? Ditto. <laughs> Rachel. Rachel. Yeah. That whole sequence. It's the only reason why I would actually even go back and watch this movie. You know, that and then uh, Myers crying. So, <laughs> of course, it's very emotional. <laughs> with the, <laughs> with, the, with, the, with the surfboard in the, in the attic for no reason. I can't I can't go with Rachel because I, I like the lead up, but I, I, I just I never really liked the, the death because even the way they shoot it, it's just it feels like brushed over. But um, the my, my the scene that scared me the most is definitely um, I think uh, is it when she's in the basement running around yeah. and thinks that he's in there chasing he after might her. actually be in there but you but then the it you know the nurse comes and like it's like hey we found you why are you down here blah blah blah. that really creeps me out um i don't know i just it just really reminds me of being a kid and how scary that the idea could be like i would just be totally frightened like what do you do in that situation um but yeah that that, that really creeps me out yeah all the sequences everybody's mentioned i would say are up there with my favorites too mm-hmm. just to throw it out there, I do think the last shot of the movie, when she keeps saying no, and there's kind of that strange echo on the yeah. no right before it cuts to black, that might oh, actually yeah. be my... If you want to take out the Rachel scene, which I used already, that's that's a pretty good moment the, there. The, the way she... The way the... Although, like, the story-wise, it's absurd. The way the police hallway looks with just, like, all the bodies around and it being blown out and... Because I remember that was on the back of the VHS box too. It was just like Rach, or uh, uh, Jamie just kind of crouched against the wall, like in this like bloody dress, looking at that. Like like Im- image wise, that's I don't know. That's pretty frightening, I think. Yeah, children I, in peril in general, obviously. I, I also really do love the the fact that we still have the pumpkin in the beginning of the movie. That's mm-hmm. like the last time that yeah. this would actually happen, and for the series, which is something I do wonder if they're going to do that for the new one, oh, uh, which would that be would really cool if difference. they did. Uh, but. The, the the carving in the beginning is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I will like I do like that, and I like how it's like so. It's very like ramshackle. Oh well, um, yeah, I think they you know. at the time they couldn't find actual pumpkins, so they used like watermelons and things oh for the God. effects yeah. and whatnot because it was wasn't the time it wasn't yeah. Halloween season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not I like nowadays like you can pretty much it, find it, like it's fun. It's a fun opening for the Halloween Five. The title of the movie is revealed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. The, the unofficial official title. Yeah, so yeah, great movie. <laughs> a lot of great scenes yeah. to go through. Um, now we're going to move on to our next category. This could be more or less a yes or no, I guess. But our next sequence is going to be get out now. Yeah, I'll kick this one off. Do I buy whether or not Michael survives? I do, because there was a gun-toting cowboy who broke into the prison and killed all the cops and exploded his jail cell and got him out. I buy it. <laughs> and honestly... <laughs> I'm not happy of, about it, but yeah, sure. It's kind of surprising, because like, out of everything that happens in all the militia that Meeker has, they don't really get a grasp on Michael on this one. You know, he really does elude everyone, so you don't really actually see him... Well, what getting is that, hit or that sequence that they cut with the SWAT team? When does that take place again? The that children's. Was... That's when um, Jamie's being held as bait. Uh, held as bait. Oh, okay, okay. And that's they, uh, and they go at the away. house. 
Yeah, so I mean, he honestly, it's not like Halloween 2 or even Halloween 4 where you actually see him just being like mercilessly destroyed. Obviously, with there's the whole Luma sequence in the actual Myers estate, but you don't really actually see him getting that hit. So I guess I do kind of buy a lot of the stuff that happens here, especially since he was gunned down like a Terminator in the fourth one. Well, and it was resurrected by this hermit. So at this point, you have to buy literally anything that happens to him. I mean, he, short, of, short of him getting his head cut off, he's going to live. Well, and that, that brings me back to my favorite scene of the movie, the very beginning when he's like crawling down the well. And it reminds me of Rambo. It reminds yeah. me of that scene yeah. of Rambo where he goes to the tunnel and he escapes. Throw the dynamite down. Yeah, the the end of this, obviously, yeah, he lives. I mean, he gets he gets blown out of jail by the man in black. I mean, there's nothing to, there's nearly no mistake there. No. Like he, yeah, I buy it. You know, he's broken out of jail. Would you say out what? of all of them, since even over the first one, this is probably the most realistic of Myers surviving because he doesn't. I, I mean, I honestly cannot remember when he's he's ever really even shot too many times. Well, he's hit by a two by four, by mm-hmm. you know, multiple times. And then but Charlie shoots him. But then him. we see, and yeah, yeah, and then we see him just like hanging out in the jail cell, messing around with his chains, and then he gets broken out. So like, yeah, it's probably the most thinking, believable. I think this might be. <laughs> this is easily the most believable. Sure, because well, Charlie did, does well, shoot him though, right? Yeah, he doesn't do headshots. Because I remember you mentioning, like, it's like, Char- why aren't you doing those headshots, Charlie? But Troy shoots him, and yeah. he's coming in the door at the very yeah, end of the, 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 yeah. the body. I was just saying, do we know that he gets shot, though? Isn't it, like, through the door when he comes in? Like, do we, do we know for sure that no, he gets shot? he's get... missed, but at this yeah. point, Michael Myers, as we know, has been shot six times at least. Well, I think, <laughs> times a million. I think, I think, too, yeah, once you, I mean, obviously, once you accept the fact that the events of Ford didn't kill him, once you get past that, yeah, I think he, do, he doesn't really get hurt much at all th- this entire movie, except that very end, like you said. And even like I don't know if a if a uh, retiree aged psychiatrist who's pretty injured himself hitting him with a two by four would would do that much damage. Exactly. The ultimate goofiness of this person who has been walked around burned, you know, and on fire, shot countless amount of times, beaten up with a two by four is just sitting in a prison cell, <laughs> and like that is actually holding him down is absolutely. When it's it's Hilarious. like a drunk, it's like a drunk tank. It's not yeah, even it's, it's not even like a blonde <laughs> security. Do you thing. do you think when the man in black breaks him out, he like turns to him and he's just like, What a burger? You know, or like <laughs> when he's still cops he kicks in. Yeah, right. And then, then Michael Myers says, uh, what a dog. How about that? Because <laughs> he loves eating dogs. Oh yeah, he does oh, love eating God. dogs. It's like find me a pug. Maybe I'll, a skunk did it. Ooh. <laughs> uh okay. So we're all on board that we buy the survival, mm-hmm. it sounds like. Yeah. Well, our next category is appropriately titled because it's the first time we see it, although we don't know what it is until the next movie, and this category is called The Mark of Thorn. Michael Myers is my business. It's been quiet here for six years, and that's the way it's going to stay. And the last thing I need now is you going around spouting off ghost stories. I suppose it was a ghost that did all this. It was a ghost talking on the radio. Now, this is really where, as I mentioned before, the conspiracy theories, the lore... The insane mythology of Michael Myers begins. Is there anything to really take from this movie yet, though? All of this mm-hmm. stuff is pretty much just a clean slate, but with a lot of scribbling on there, and you kind of have to wait until Daniel Farrens gets on board to decipher yeah. a lot of it. Well, again, I think a lot of it goes back to the, the Dr. Death sequence, which, which was originally what opens the movie, mm-hmm. and this guy is into the occult. He's got you know runes around, and he tattoo- we see him tattooing that symbol on Michael's wrist. Now, let's say that scene's in the movie. Yeah. Do we need all of the Thorn cult ruins and all this other shit 
from the sixth one. I don't think we do at that point. And the, but the other confusing thing is because the finished product that we have, Michael already has the tattoo on his wrist. So we're supposed to believe that he's just had that th- this entire time. Yeah. Here comes all the confusion as to as to what's going to follow. It's a, it's a disaster. It's a mess. Um, it is. It is. Yeah. Insane. It doesn't make sense that I, I don't know what else I can say. I feel like I've just been sitting here for three hours saying how much of a mess this movie is, but it is. Yeah. I don't know. It was <laughs> six years between this and the sixth movie. Mm-hmm. You know, it was six. Can you imagine that now? Six years. Well, at what point did uh, did Daniel Farron start working on that script? Like, I wonder how soon they they started oh, trying to piece all this together. The production hell for, for for the next entry is going to be very long for us uh, when we we go over that because there is a long long road for that movie, and we've been you know beating a dead horse with this. But I think we just have to really stress in this episode just how this really collapsed the series. Yeah, it's like rubble. It's like that that shot in the dark night. When Batman's standing over like all the burning, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it's like it's like all it's like all of us are just standing here right now, just being like, all right, what do we do? Because I'm the way I'm looking at it when we do these episodes is I'm not I can't really see too much into the to the next entry. I'm just focusing solely on this one. Yeah. And right now, yeah, all it, it is, is that I, next one. I'm standing in that Haddonfield police station, just right there. What with are Jamie. we doing? <laughs> like, what are we supposed to do? Now? That's the most Saying dangerous no, place to be no. in Haddonfield is the police station. <laughs> yeah, so I would not want to go to the yeah. police station. What, what didn't you guys say though? I mean, as much shows we're giving this movie, wouldn't you say a show like Lost or any other network television a series that kind of jumps the shark? Do we feel like they've done similar things? Like I feel like Lost all the time introduced stuff that either wasn't resolved or they just had no idea how they were going to resolve it. At You're that. absolutely right, mm-hmm. and that was a serious detriment. Yeah, in the oh, end, I that's agree. why I can't yeah. I can't rewatch that show now, knowing that there, nothing was resolved and it was just sloppily done. I can't do it. Well, I think that's the problem of not knowing where your story is going to be, yeah. and I think that's always going to be a problem. I don't really know anyone that can actually wing it that well. I mean, David Lynch, maybe. You know, David Lynch and Mark Frost with like Twin Peaks. I mean, they they did a decent job in that respect. But even then, that kind of came back to, to bite them in the ass multiple times. It did. It just you need to know your story, and you can't do this type of shit where you just throw stuff out there for the sake of it. I mean, if anything, Star Wars is a perfect example of that. Of just anything you put on screen is going to be used eventually down the road, and. This movie is just filled with vagaries. We have the thorn symbol that's introduced on his hand. We have the spiritual connection with that's absolutely been established between Jamie and Michael. Mm-hmm. That really but, never like comes to fruition of anything, really. Like, no, like they're connected. It's well, weird, and that's yeah. and that's the thing is that the screenwriters from or what's his name, the guy from Four that wrote the screenplay and wanted to continue with Jamie mm-hmm. and and that whole storyline, like they, that wasn't going to work. It just wouldn't have worked. I mean, yeah. th- there's a moment where I think Daniel Harris is talking in the documentary about how, like, it just would have been silly. To, she she kind of put it as like walk, uh, um, being Michael Myers' sidekick, yeah. yeah, like killer. And there's even some footage of her like wearing the mask in the hotel room, like like scaring people or whatever and whatnot. Yeah. But yeah, it just I don't think it would have been as terrifying. Now, had you jumped 15, 20 years, and had her been a full grown woman, like now wearing the mask, killing people, maybe because you still you could still bring the mask back, and maybe it would just be like a totally different kind of scary film. But you lose the uh, the family connectivity. <laughs> you would lose. Well, yeah, it just wouldn't make sense the mm-hmm. way that they've been going with it already. I want to jump on that because I know the series gets dinged for it, it turning out to be Laurie's sister and the whole family connection. But guess what? It's a simple premise. And you can just keep using it. It's Michael Myers trying to eliminate his bloodline. We can ding it all we want. But now when you start getting into, again, runes and sacrifice and 
and possession and, and, and kidnapping, it's, you, you took a simple premise and you overcomplicated it for literally no reason. But I also think they also laid the groundwork for a lot of that in Halloween 2 with talking about Sam Hain. And then they doubled down on that in Halloween 3, even though it's outside of that. The whole Halloween used to be this this cult mm-hmm. thing. And it's kind of bringing it back and tying that idea into it. I, I don't – I'm not as big a, a, a naysayer when it comes to the whole cult angle, but it definitely messes everything up even more. It does. Um, but I, I – I see what they were trying to do, and I can't wait to talk about that with the next one. Yeah, I think we can just wait until we get to uh, Haddonfield again That's, for part yeah. six. Yeah, you know, okay. for this. But just know that this Born is the looks film. cool, though. It looks cool. Yeah, I mean the, lo- the but it's a real, it's a real mark. I mean, it's a real consolation and everything. So it's I've uh, seen it before uh, on Halloween. Uh, I've seen it. On, I've seen it on my wrist. Oh really? Oh, I was gonna say I keep looking over at I keep looking over at Mike and he's got some tattoos on his on his forearm and I, I keep thinking the the mark of thorns gonna show and up I'm one just day. Gonna clench my uh, my fist and all. my head hurts. Yeah, mine too, Mac. Yeah, I could uh, could use some some medicines. Dan, where do you think we should go? Uh, hey, Vincent's Drugstore. It's local, right down the street. Let's uh, let's hop in the car and go. Let's go. Oh, it's closed. Nothing really to talk about here. There's not no. a lot of. Uh, Merch to talk about. I've got the Blu-ray, which has commentary with um, Ellie Cornell, Daniel Harris, and I believe Don Shanks in one of the commentaries. We There's talked a sound- to... soundtrack, but it's it's pretty. It's just the soundtrack. It's nothing crazy. They may be re-releasing the Halloween Four and Halloween Five soundtracks uh, within the next year or so. So keep an eye out for that. That's well, that's, that's, that's all I've I heard would, about that. Yeah, I would also say um, I know Fright Rags is is going to be re-releasing uh, merch for all the Halloween films that they've done. So. That's kind of going to be cool. Something to look out for. Yeah, I mean, because, God, I got to get that soundtrack because I love that Becca song and I love that DV8 song and that Churchill song <laughs> and that Rhythm Tribe song and that Diggy Mark Chozak song. Mm. <laughs> give, me a, give me that sound. Give me those sounds. God. Those tunes. Yeah, like, I you really mentioned need that this on is, vinyl. This is, you mentioned that this is kind of the, the... You said it was the like the bastard child of the Halloween franchise because there's totally. nothing really... There's no external items that are very interesting in relation to Halloween 5. No. I've even, like, Googled around, and I guess you can actually buy the 5 mask, and it looks so bad. You know, the, there's <laughs> two... It just there's, looks so bad. There are two, just because we don't have another place to mention this, but there's two posters that I found. One one is a German poster, um, but it looks, like, animated for their, for their Blu-ray release, and it has Michael Myers on the front with the scythe <laughs> instead of a knife. <laughs> actually, I like that a lot. That's not too bad. It's a DVD release. It's not too yeah. bad. Yeah, and and um, you know, you know why? Because actually, wait—is it a clown again? Is, is she still in that? She's clown dressed outfit? as the as the princess. Oh, it's even better. Yeah, yeah, much better. But it's just—it's just like wow, we've really gone full crazy. Well, know. sorry, sorry, everybody, that the drugstore is closed. I guess we'll have to depend on our Advil at home if we have any. Yeah. But uh, I'm exhausted. And I think we all are too. <laughs> Let's just go on to our overall thoughts. <laughs> Dan, what, you know what? You're be the most optimistic. Why don't you lead it off? We're, we're going to give this out of five uh, lit jack-o'-lanterns. What are you giving this thing? You know, I, I'm going to give it two and a half lit jack-o'-lanterns. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow. Because yeah, at the end of the day, at the end of the, I, story-wise, character-wise, it's a mess. It still has enough scary moments 
for me to make it like a, I don't want to, I don't want to, entertaining watch is the right word, but there's enough to keep me coming back to it. Um, in a weird way, it scares me more than Floor does, like the actual stalking sequences and some of the murder. And I don't know, there's something to be said for the director's boldness. It doesn't result in a, in a great movie by any means, but it's it's an interesting train wreck. So two, two and a half, which is probably... Well, no, that's not the lowest rating I would give to any of the movies in the franchise. Um, we've got we've got we've a got some good ones up. coming up. I think we all know what the worst rating will be. But yeah, two two and a half. I'm gonna stick to it. Two and a half. Uh, Dwight Owen, uh, Jack Owentons, <laughs> whatever you guys want to say. Well, what about the rest of you, uh, so Mac? A, yeah, Mac. What do you think? I'm gonna give this a one jack o lantern yeah. i do not like this movie i never i haven't liked it and it's it's even though it's the one we always come back to we we're optimistic about it watching it this time maybe it's going to be good i just don't like it it's not scary to me it's goofy it's annoying and loud and brash and there's a, a couple of moments maybe but you know what you get lucky every once in a while you know it, it doesn't mean that it's any good or i don't know i just i really don't like this film, um, I don't like where they take it. Um, there's a couple of decent performances, you know, but it's not enough to win the movie over or anything. So one jack-o'-lantern for this uh, Halloweeny. Mike? Mine's uh, a rotten pumpkin mm. that I cannot carve <laughs> that's just sitting there, and I've for some reason thought it would be a decent pumpkin to just carve. Is it a watermelon? I can't. And actually, it ended up being a watermelon. So I get this one watermelon, and I'm going <laughs> to smash it just like Gallagher would. Um, I hate this movie. Yeah. I actually, I don't hate this more than Halloween Resurrection. And if you think I'm negative on this episode, Spoiler alert. wait till you get to that one. Uh, but this is this is one of my least favorite sequels of all time. Also, I, I just there's just nothing really redeemable here. As much as we were praising the naturalism of like the whole Rachel sequence and all, it's still killing off a great character for no real reason uh, other than j- just to prove that Myers is still a threat. But you can do that in other ways, and the fact that they weren't able to kind of back that up with something that's going to be substantial enough to carry the rest of the movie is a major flaw. And that's all I could think of. I mean, like I talk a lot about how I love when chaos breeds something unbelievable. It shouldn't have happened. You know, like once in a lifetime is the talking head song that shouldn't have been great given how it was all basically taped together, but it turns out to be this anomaly that shit happens all the time. This is the exact opposite. This is a total flop. It's a total charred piece of Hollywood filmmaking that I don't like revisiting. I don't think the characters are entertaining. The atmosphere is, it's very spotty. I, I wouldn't even give it one Jacqueline. I'm just going to give it that rotten one. So you didn't and. like it. No, I did not like it. Yeah. <laughs> I will give this, I'll give it one and a half. Oh um, yeah, my man! Yeah, I love it. Three, three out of <laughs> is ten. Is that one Jack Lantern and a watermelon? It honestly, is because again, I think the Rachel sequence is, is well shot. I do like a lot of the handheld stuff, but again, this is this is a movie all about sequences and not about an actual finished product. I think it's a rush job of all the sequels you can think of. This is such a rush job. It's amateurishly put together. The performances are not good. Like even it's incredible. This is a year later, but everything's changed somehow, mm-hmm. and that just goes that just goes to show you how you need to have time, even for something as simple as a horror movie about some mystical killer trying to kill his niece. You need more than you know a few months before you go into pre production on the next movie. 
I mean, if you've got nothing out there, you need to wait. Unless you want four nerds talking about 30 years later and talking about how bad it is. Uh, and we're not alone there. I don't think this. I don't think many people like this movie to begin with. You know, no. I just don't. This is not well regarded at all. There's not a lot of defenders about this movie over this movie except for Dan Caffer. Um, <laughs> the stars even seem that way. I mean, the, the stars, stars are, are self-aware about this. Yeah, they are. They there's just something. As you watch it, you could just you just know that something that something went wrong here. I think, and the feel was lost all in the name of profit, and that's why I took six years which is a lifetime in between sequels especially the sequel that was not a reboot at all it was a direct continuation and so for that for the four minute bizarre four minute sex scene in the barn like this weird <laughs> pseudo erotica the guy in the rat costume breaking the fourth wall the, the <laughs> tina being a replacement for rachel which is like you know what's the name of that one blonde guy who replaced john travolta and welcome back cotter Oh God, I don't remember. What him, a disaster! For all you sixty-year-olds listening right now, <laughs> we get that reference. What if, uh, what if, like a um, hundred years from now, how the planet's still around? Um, what if, what if uh, Halloween Five is looked at as this amazing example of postmodern cinema? How it called from all these influences, and it's like, it's like this this gem, and only one film critic appreciated it. And his oh, name I'm, is Dan. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure you'll, it'll be like I'll be I'll pull up AV Club in thirty years, and I'll be like, actually, Halloween Five is a good movie. <laughs> Written by Dan Caffrey. Dan Caffrey had the head there. Uh, so yeah, this is. Um, you could. I would hear you out if you wanted to say it's the worst of the franchise. I would, I would actually hear you out. I wouldn't. I don't. I wouldn't agree with you, but I would actually entertain your, um, your conversation in that regard. Anything else we'd like to say about Halloween Five, aka Halloween Five: The Revenge of Michael Myers, before I, we? I love this quote from Mustafa Cad. Okay, here. We go. Who, and this is on Wikipedia, but he goes, drunk off the success of Halloween 4, we began production on Halloween 5. <laughs> he probably said that while chopping a cigar and eating, like, yeah. peeled shrimp. Holding his his, uh, his real action figure. He's like, Michael Myers, I love this guy. I love this guy. You know what, Mustafa? Maybe if you really loved him, you would have taken some time. Take some, you know, that's the message out there for everybody out there. Mm -hmm. Before you make any rash decisions, take a moment, collect yourself. Yeah. And on that <laughs> beautiful word of advice from... Uh, yours truly, I would like to thank you for joining us once again for Halloweenies, a Michael Myers podcast. If you liked what you heard, please be sure to leave a rating and review for us on iTunes or wherever you listen to our podcast on. Also, for all your pop culture needs, you really should check out the other fine programs on the Consequence Podcast Network where you'll discover a few in which some of us have appeared on. As a matter of fact, I will be on the third episode of the Stanley Kubrick episodes for our filmography podcast along with fellow losers club host randall colburn and main filmography host daniel suzanne mayer uh for our next episode on halloweenies we will be tackling a most unique entry in the halloween universe and i know that nothing is actually most unique <laughs> everything literally is unique but i'm going to use it anyway because it really <laughs> is unique it stands out here and it's the uh last entry before the retcon that would take place in 1998. That's right. It's time to go to Thorn for both the theatrical and producer's cut of Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers. It, we might have to do two episodes. We probably will have to do two episodes. Yeah. So yeah, you're going to get another bonus episode next mm -hmm. month. So congratulations on that. Another note, if you love Halloween 5, listen, we respect your opinion. Don't come at us calling us a bunch of assholes. 
We're not going to call you an asshole for liking it. Hey, Dan, we still love Dan, and Dan actually kind of likes it. So that's if that, if anything, that should be a, <laughs> a nice little notice there. So until then, lock your doors, bolt your windows, and turn off the lights. Michael Myers is somewhere out there with the man in black. And if you see a big white van, run! No! No! Consequence Podcast Network.